Welcome to Otaku Brothers, your friendly neighborhood gaming podcast featuring Rusty, R.E. Lewis 2011, and Ryan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode nine of Otaku Brothers. My name is Rusty, and tonight I am joined by my forever co-host and brother-in-law, Ryan. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. I was on vacation all this week. As so, was I, and yeah. uh, we saw we got the uh, the great T Swift last night in concert. So mm-hmm. that was a that was a fun time. Not a not in our usual musical rotation, but you know, she put on a hell <laughs> <laughs> she put on a heck of a show. It was definitely entertaining to say the very least. But yeah. I am so happy and. I am a little starstruck right now because the great Pete Dorr is joining us on the show tonight. Pete, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, Rusty. Yeah. You know, and Ryan. It, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's seriously so great to finally have you on the show. I've been listening to, you know, of course, uh, All Gen Gamers for eight years. You guys, I think, started back in 2010. And I think the first video of yours that I ever watched on YouTube was... Um, like either your PS2 collection or your Xbox 360 collection videos um, back in the day, which of course I'm sure um, brought in many, many viewers over the years to your YouTube channel. But to kind of kick off the show, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself that might not know you and uh, kind of the reason you got into gaming back in the day and maybe even some of your recent history with podcasting, YouTube, and getting into the Twitch space as well. Yeah, sure. So I've been, uh, I mean, I've been a gamer my whole life, starting with the ColecoVision back when I was younger. It was my dad's ColecoVision and kind of really grew attached to games like Donkey Kong Jr. and Zaxxon and Ms. Pac-Man and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, everybody in my family back then was kind of not like a gamer, but they had games available. So when I'd go to visit, say, one side of my family's uh, grandparents, like my grandparents, there was a Sega Genesis available for me to play, which I didn't have at home at the time. Or when I'd go to my other side of the family's house to visit, it would be the NES. So it was like I had the best of both worlds, uh, no matter where I was going to visit family. And eventually, uh, you know, I'd start getting some of my own as presents for Christmas and whatnot and birthday. And uh, I don't know, I just, I just started really taking to playing games but one thing i was noticing about myself is that i was never letting go of the games that i got like most kids would uh you know trade their games in which i did here and there sometimes you know you just didn't have the money and you'd have to trade in some games uh but you know i'd go to yard sales a lot and get games and games and games uh go to the bargain bins at you know funko lands and eb games and all kinds of stuff and i just started amassing this collection and i'm like you know i'm just never never getting rid of any of these. And then I started to really take to keeping the boxes and manuals. And I'm like, I wonder if there's anybody else out there like me that holds on to all this stuff. So I went on the internet probably around when I was 12 years old or so, and I discovered digital press. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is, we're talking 18 years ago. Yeah. Hard wow. to believe. Uh, so digital <laughs> press at the time was like the Mecca for, video game collecting. So originally when I searched, I searched online, I guess back then it was probably like, I don't know, ask Jeeves or Yahoo search engine (laughs) or something. I remember that. (laughs) Oh yeah. And I come across this site that was called uh, the room of doom, which at the time I did not know was actually a gallery because originally the landing page that I landed on was just one person's collection, which was Joe Santulli. And a lot of video game collectors will know him as the owner of digital press, sort of like just this this godly figure in the video game collecting realm these days 
And I came across his game collection and I'm looking through the pictures and I see how he has his game room set up, like just the little meticulous things that he does to, to add to the room, like memorabilia, yeah. what a complete Sega CD collection looks like. I'm like. I was in awe at all this <laughs> stuff. And I'm like, holy moly, I want to aspire to be like this guy one yeah. day. And then randomly, I decided to click on the banner for Room of Doom. And it takes me to a page filled with dozens, if not a couple hundred of other people that had collections. And I was like, holy crap, this is so amazing. So I got to look at other people's collections, how they had them laid out. Uh, it was very inspirational because at the time I had a room similar. You know, I was, you know, I was young, so obviously it didn't compare to a lot of theirs. But uh, that served as sort of like the building blocks of my inspiration to collect and uh, really get into the realm of retro gaming. That's so neat. I mean, it's it really is pretty amazing to see, you know, your game room video or your game room tour that you did a few number of years ago. That was like an hour long uh, when all of your viewers for years were just begging you to do another one. And uh, even now, like just watching you when you stream in, on Twitch, you see some of the stuff behind you. And it's just it's really pretty amazing and certainly inspiring. And it's just, wow. So great. I mean, it's got to be amazing for you to walk into your game room and just see these walls of games and memorabilia and especially when you stream on Twitch and just like figuring out what you want to play every night. It's like, wow, okay, well, I have quite possibly thousands of games to, to choose from and certainly hundreds from certain consoles. It's, it's got to be amazing for you to just see that. I mean, is it ever overwhelming to you or is it, is it very, I don't know, like what do you feel when you walk into your game room? I'm like, oh God, here we go again. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> what the hell do I play tonight? Uh, no, but like, see, the, the thing is, it, it takes it's a certain mentality where a lot of times I do buy games and I, I realize that I may not play this game for years. However, having that mentality throughout the years really helped in the fact that, well, I was able to get games really cheap that are now unfathomably expensive. You know, so people always used to say to me, you buy these games and you never play them. I'm like, I'm just thinking years in advance. OK, so, you know, I, luckily I was buying like stuff for the Sega Saturn uh, 3DO, uh, Game Boy Advance, N64, you know, all these Genesis stuff like that back then that was, you know, 10, 20 bucks a pop. And now some of these games are 100 bucks each. So I'm like, well, I guess I made the right decision because now with Twitch, I am playing through my back catalog of games like at a rapid pace. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm still nowhere near running out of games to play, but it's sort of like at, at least I had the foresight to. <laughs> to buy all this stuff but back then like no one would have ever imagined the prices of games yeah as they are today and that's something we'll get into later but i mean it's almost like mm-hmm. you know back in the 80s or whatever it, what it might have been investing in apple you know before their stock took off or investing in you know a company like microsoft when they're just just you know starting out and now look at their their stock price and it's same it's a few the, guys in a garage yeah i mean it's almost <laughs> the same with you know copies of like, i don't want to get into it now but we will but yeah, definitely the retro gaming market has, has skyrocketed and YouTube is certainly, I would say, kind of artificially in, inflated some of the prices in some of these games. And it's unfortunate for us because, you know, we want to watch people like you, tweet, uh, Pete, on Twitch and and see some of these games played. And it's just, it, they're so interesting. But then you go on, on eBay and, and it can be um, just very uh, just discouraging, you know, because it's so hard to to kind of hop on on the the, the wagon of, of this collecting hobby because some of these games are just are just too expensive for us to buy. So we'll get into that right a little bit later on. But Pete, thank you for for the intro and kind of getting us a better understanding of who you are for 
for people like Ryan that are, you know, in a hole somewhere that don't understand. Wow. No, actually, <laughs> no, the first time I heard of you, Pete, was when Rusty showed me your room tour. And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you need to see this guy's man cave. <laughs> um, so he would show it like we watched, I think, like half the video. And I was just in awe of all that stuff. So you actually do your recording in that room? Yeah. Um, just surrounded? Yeah, <laughs> just, just surrounded. Yeah. I mean, th- it stems back to the reason why those videos kind of took off at the time, though, for me was because uh, I started on YouTube back in 2008. Rusty, I think you started around what, like 2010? Yep. Yep. 2010. Okay. Yeah, so I started back in 2008, and this was during a time where if you made a video showing your game collection, you were like a pioneer because nobody was really doing that back then. For example, when I made my uh, video of my Xbox 360 collection and my PS2 collection, um, those were pretty much, you know, I don't don't like to 100% tout this. But back when I was searching on YouTube, like I tried searching, I typed in all different kinds of keywords like my PS2 collection, uh, my PS2 games, like all these different things before mm-hmm. I made those videos, like for Xbox 360, and I got no results. So when I made those videos, wow. they were pretty much, you know, I don't want to say this definitively, but they were pretty much the first to ever hit YouTube of those style of videos, sort of like an overview of your entire collection for a certain system. Now you go on YouTube, you search that, you'll get. God knows how many hits. Hundreds, uh, thousands yeah, even. Yeah. yeah. No, Pete, yeah, you got to toot. Stop being so humble. You got to toot your own horn, man. <laughs> you started a revolution on YouTube <laughs> with collecting it, it was, videos. I mean, but back then, um, there were other people doing like retro style gaming channels, not to take away from them, but something that I thought was lacking was just a focus on the collecting aspect of it, mm-hmm. um, which is why I usually chose to do games I bought recently, which back then, uh, once again, I don't want to say I was the first because I can't confirm that, but I know I was one of the first to come on the scene and do videos just showing off the games I bought recently and it inspired tons of people and it just snowballed from there. Yeah. And maybe even to that point. So what were people doing back then in 2008? Was it more just focusing on reviews? And like, I know Johnny was talking about just making people talk about like ease and Falcom and games like that, that people didn't really have um, the know-how of that they even existed. So yeah. Was it more like that, just kind of pointing out series of games that people didn't know about? Um, Johnny was Johnny Millennium, Happy Console Gamer, was sort of unique, which is why he sort of definitely inspired me to come on the YouTube because he was doing those series overviews, which were actually pretty rare at the time because most most, most people on YouTube back then were mostly just uh, setting up like a webcam or some really cruddy capture device because that's the best we had back then. Mm-hmm. And they just record gameplay and talk over it. Uh, like just kind of really thrown together review style. Uh, there really wasn't anybody like Johnny that were doing sort of these nice full production edited series reviews. And on my side, there weren't many people sort of just sitting down vlog style talking about the collecting aspect of games. Um, so we both of us kind of nailed these two niches that were um, pretty void at the time. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. And even, even how like far the, the community has come. And, you know, sadly, I think, one of the biggest reasons I kind of moved over to the podcast space to begin with was just because YouTube is just kind of a dying breed. I just don't feel like it's very much alive and it's certainly not as alive as it was, I would say back in 2010, 2012. I think that was kind of the peak of the YouTube gaming community. And yes. then it, it, it's just gone downhill so much. And, and if you're not like a juggernaut, like I don't want to name drop, but like if you're not a juggernaut YouTuber have, you know, 80, 100, 200, 300,000 subscribers that your videos aren't even going to be watched. Like it's, it's just sad. Um, you know, it's very it, crowded over there. Yeah, it's 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 different these days, too. I find it very volatile as well, because it's 
it's competitive. Like I, I don't want to say, it, but I believe that a lot of people on there are just fueled by the business side of it now. Yeah, so, and it's yeah. so a lot unfortunate. Of bait, and I just can't take it anymore. To be honest, I don't really even watch YouTube anymore. Um, I don't either. I've kind I, of just been consumed by Twitch. <laughs> yeah, I can't even tell you the last time that I went to my subscription box, and it's and so unfortunate because I know there there are some of my friends like Vintage Video Game Geek that will pop a video up every now and again, and I really enjoy his reviews. They're short, quick, to the point, and I love them, but. I just don't go on there enough to see if he put up a new video or, or you know, Finn Gamer or anyone else. It's just, it's just sad. And, uh, I'm just so glad that, you know, you are doing Twitch because it is so enjoyable. And, you know, maybe I'll talk about this later too, but you're someone Pete that is very personable and you make sure that when someone pops into your Twitch streams, you're, you're listening to them, you're hearing them, you're saying hello. What if someone, you know, sparks a discussion, you know, especially when E3 was going on, you, you talk about what other people are talking about in the chat and you kind of thrive off of, you know, those conversations. And I think it's so neat because there are other, like similar to YouTube, there's Twitch juggernauts that have hundreds of thousands of viewers on any given day. And they might, you could sit there and just spam. Hi, hello. Are you there? And the person might not give you the light of day, you know, and it's just so nice that we have the doorknobs as we call them. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we, uh, we have a lot of fun uh, over there on Twitch. So certainly anyone that's listening, um, you can go on Twitch and, and find Pete at uh, Pete's Games Room. Is it Pete's Games Room? Or how would you uh, – you can go uh, and plug Pete's, that, Pete. Pete's Game Room. It's a name that I regret because when I first started streaming, which was in late 2008, um, back when Twitch was known as Justin.TV, mm-hmm. um, I didn't want to use my real name because at the time, Justin TV wasn't – it wasn't a gaming streaming site. Like there were very few people streaming video games on there, which I was doing. And I thought it was kind of weird to use my real name on a a site where people would like stream themselves sleeping sometimes. So it's like (laughs) I chose a name. I chose a name to help promote my channel, let people know I was a video game channel. Okay. Um, And now because I I changed accounts, like I can't even change my name over because Pete Doerr is just like legacied in and they won't (laughs) do it. So I won't get into it, but... Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of why I took the Twitch over YouTube is because over the years I found that YouTube, like, you know, they took away things like video responses and like the community aspect of YouTube kind of just went downhill. And I know they have live streaming and everything now, but we won't get into comparing Twitch to YouTube live streaming. But like, I just felt like it was harder to interact with your viewers on on YouTube. And that's back when there wasn't YouTube streaming. So I made the switch to Twitch um, pretty much full time for that. And it just being able to interact with people in real time and hold discussions and get to know your viewers on a personal basis. Like the only way I get to know people on YouTube personally was if I watched a lot of their videos and they watched a lot of my videos, then you get to know one another sort of just through their discussions or if Mm -hmm. you were talking on Skype or something, but on Twitch, it's like you really get to know your viewers. You may not have a face to put to them. You may not have a voice to put to them, but you, you know them through talking with them over the years and Twitch, and I think that's the greatest thing to have people show up on a on a regular basis and and chat about games. It's just so much more meaningful it is, than just yeah. like seeing someone leave a comment like "great video," I agree, this is my favorite game, blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, that real time interaction on Twitch, and the thing about Twitch, the one edge I will give it, the retro community on Twitch is just so much more wholesome than YouTube. YouTube to me just seems more like individualized channels where people don't seem to meld together on there. Whereas on Twitch, it's like everybody supports everybody. You kind of get to know these sub communities. Um, The retro community on Twitch is what keeps it so strong. And that's why I choose it. Yeah, that's an excellent. So are you completely off YouTube then? Or you're just you're I know you're full time on Twitch. So you're then 
you're not uploading videos or um i've had my fair share of breaks from youtube um like my longest break recently was like almost a year i used to upload to youtube several times a week uh but then i just when i was getting super busy towards the end of college and everything i definitely slowed down with youtube and then i started gravitating towards twitch and realized how much i like the streaming like i still do youtube but not on a regular basis i I, like if i had a if I handed a business card to somebody, Twitch would be <laughs> the main bulletin point. YouTube would sort okay. of just be there. Yeah, sub bullet points somewhere yeah. on the back. Which not to discredit anybody from YouTube because people have been watching me on YouTube for 10 years and it's not like I'm just brushing them aside. But yeah. Twitch is like my calling. You know, it's not like I'm saying, all right, so long YouTube, I'm done. You know, I still appreciate all the support on there over the past decade, but this is this is like truly what I've always wanted to do because I've tried everything over the years from solo podcasting to podcasting and forums, like just ways to get my opinion out there about games. And there's nothing better to me than just sitting down and just playing a game and talking to people because on YouTube, if you want to play a game and get your opinion out on there, people expect you to sit there. uh, You have to sit there alone recording gameplay for like hours, editing that, doing the voiceover. Like it's just, it's an entire day project to make a good well edited youtube video to have to like stand out these days on youtube why would i spend an entire day making a 10 5 to 10 minute video when i could just go on twitch and spend my day streaming with people like, yeah just, the choice is clear and to that point pete you know um i'm sure you remember nes complex chris you guys had him on the podcast years ago he um he's he's made a kind of a return to youtube recently and his favorite game of all time is super metroid and he recently did like a retrospective and he was a guest on another podcast, um, Arcade Impossible, and he was talking about spending over 100 hours on this one video. And I don't mm-hmm. remember the timestamp, whether it was 10, 15 minutes, whatever it may have been, but 100 hours? Like, that's that's insane to spend yeah. on one video. When I took a trip to India and I did my video, you know, it was for a class projects um, for the end of college, but... I took a trip to India and between all the recording and the editing side of things, I, I probably spent about a hundred hours at least on that video too. And then the video gets like, I don't know how many views it got, but you know, it at that moment and people are like, please do more of these videos. I'm like, listen, you don't understand what goes into <laughs> editing videos like this. I just can't do it anymore. You know? But I mean, yeah. and certainly the payoff of it, because I'm sure you the, the reception that you got was glowing because the you could tell the production value of that video was superb, Pete, and the time that you spent into it. But but again, it goes back to saying it's like kind of like almost a cost benefit analysis of like do your I, ROI. Do, yeah. Do I spend 100 hours on this one video and then, you know, I get I get 100 thumbs up and 100,000 views or whatever you might get. But or, you know, you, you get on Twitch for five, six days a week and you talk with people for five or six hours each time and. And just the benefit of, of getting to know people, like you said, in a real-time basis, I think the payoff is much better. So, um, yeah, good stuff. Well, yeah, anybody, here, I'll just say one last thing about Twitch. Anybody sure. out there that's experienced video game burnout, like if you feel like you're just not into games as much as you thought you were, um, and, and you're struggling to maybe, like maybe you're the type of person that picks up a game and you only play it for an hour or two and you put it down and you're done, give streaming a try. Come on the Twitch, come say hello. We'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll check you out. Now, there is a trend of a lot of people have been jumping on streaming these days. So you do, you do have to try and stand out. Like you need some decent webcam. You need a decent mic. You need a decent setup. You need a personality where people want to hang out with you for a bit. But even if you have like anxiety about like 
people watching you stream, still give it a shot. You, you might be surprised on how it'll not just help you grow personally if you're not used to talking to people, but also getting you back in the games if you've sort of been having a fallout recently. It'll, it'll help you get through your backlog. Because if you have people watching you play a game, you're not going to quit after an hour. You're going to keep going. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to give yeah. up. Yeah, definitely. And and again, I know we're going on a lot of tangents here, but even for me, like when I started YouTube in 2010, I had no intentions of doing so. And certainly my earlier videos, as Pete, I'm sure you can attest as well, you're nervous. You, ha- you have anxiety. It's like you're talking to a camera and hundreds of people, even thousands of people might end up watching you. But your communication skills, like I can just go back to my first video towards the end and even now oh, yeah. po- podcasting. It's like your communication skills get so much better. You get so much more comfortable with yourself behind a camera and, you know, and talking to these people. It's, it's pretty amazing to see that progress. You, you know, it's a good example because it's right. Everybody that I knew on YouTube back in the day, you watch their first video and it's sort of like this kind of like scared, low, yeah. monotone kind of style. And and now you watch them over the years and how they've grown. Um, like if you, because I recently, I don't want to get off on a GDQ tangent, but I'll just mess, uh, mention it. Yeah. Like viewing how I went from YouTube, like just kind of like talking to the, the couple dozen people I was talking to when I first started to then playing on a stage on Twitch for Games Done Quick just recently in front of at least 100,000 people live and having no nerves about it. uh, Like, you know, I I have to say I'm pretty proud of myself because I've seen seen my evolution and my social skills, like in being able to speak publicly, you know, doing panels in front of people. Oh, my God. Like, I'm the type of person where when I was younger, doing a school presentation in front of the class was like terrifying to me. And now I do panels at like game conventions and by myself in some instances and no nerves about it. And it's just, I can accredit that to YouTube and streaming, mostly YouTube. Uh, Cause I, I feel like talking to that camera really helped over the years. Yeah, no, of course. Good stuff. All right. Well, we have a packed agenda and we're already about 20 minutes into the show. So we should probably <laughs> start, uh, start getting down the uh, move that way yeah exactly so we have a whole slew of things we want to get to who knows if we'll make it to all of them but first thing we always do when we kick off the episode is just the games we've been playing recently so we have to let the guests go first pete you're our first honorary guest so why don't you kick it off with some of the games you've been playing recently you've been playing some weird ones on twitch so it should be fun oh god uh (laughs) let me let me bring up my past (laughs) broadcast here because contrary to popular belief like i these days I, i can't even keep track of what the hell um what the hell I've been playing recently because I jump around so much. But let me let me bring them up here real fast. Oh, of course, video producer having a hard time loading what I've been playing. <laughs> well, I guess I can start with one that's kind of interesting that I played about a ooh, right before I left for GDQ, which would have been about two weeks ago. I played the poorest selling Wii <laughs> game, possibly the poorest <laughs> selling video game of all time. Oh, my gosh. Uh, nice. God Almighty. Sensho no Reina, I believe, was the name of it. It's a Japanese import that only came out in Japan uh, where you play. Now, forgive me if I don't get the lore on this, right? Because the game was entirely in Japanese. But this game came out in Japan and sold only 150 copies. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) In the first two weeks, uh, I saw this and I was like, okay, I have to I have to get this. Um, It's a game where you play as a cat that is like the business manager of some company in Japan. And it's just a collection Uh of really wacky mini games. I don't know if you caught the stream, Rusty. I did. I did. (laughs) (laughs) Where I 
I couldn't tell you what the hell was going on, but just a collection of mini games where like you're dodging cats that are jumping at you in an office. Uh, you're kind of like doing a Ghostbusters little mini game in the back of a car with a vacuum cleaner. It, like you're playing a piano with the cat. Uh, absolutely horrible wow. mini games, but it was sort of a trip to be able to play sort of like a look into a history of the Wii at, at some point. Because I bet you if this game would have came out in the first year of the Wii's life cycle, it probably would have sold hundreds of thousands of copies in probably Japan. yeah but because it kind of came out towards the end of the life cycle it just shows you how sick people were getting of of wii games shovelware uh, yeah it's it's not a super expensive game but uh i just thought it was sort of like a interesting little thing because i tend to check out some really obscure stuff on twitch and, and that was one of them that's where i gotta stop in i mean it's like people you need to tune into to pete's streams i mean he plays games <laughs> about freaking gummy bears on the wii i mean and then this weirdo cat game, you can't find anything more obscure than some of the games that Pete streams. And that's why it's so entertaining. So, so which one did you like better? This one or the black tiger game Rusty was talking about that you guys all played? <laughs> uh, which one's weird? Well, man, that's, that's a, <laughs> uh, I'd have to say I enjoyed black tiger more because the online aspect of that was just, a once yeah. in a lifetime experience. Really like, I'll never forget <laughs> playing that game online. Totally worth the ten dollars, I'd say. Um, but yeah, you know, sometimes I don't mind blowing some money on really, really crappy games. Yeah. Um, one, one I've really been having fun with lately is Star Wars Super Bombad Racing on the PS2. Hmm. I don't know if any of you ever checked this game out, but it was it was exclusive to the PS2. A kart racer themed around Star Wars Episode One. <laughs> And I remember renting this game back in the day, and I, I I liked it, but I wasn't like the biggest fan of it. I never liked it enough to purchase it. But I bought it recently for under ten dollars, and uh, wow, I have to say, my turnaround on this, and it's not just because I'm speedrunning it, but like taking a real hard second look at this game, it's easily one of the best kart racers I've ever played. Really, you think so? Yeah, because simply because of the jumping mechanic that's in this game, uh, something that. A lot of people, I feel like, probably neglected the first time you played the game. Maybe not even new as a feature because it's mapped to R2, something you might not even press playing a cart game, um, considering weapon is tied to different buttons. So you, you may, may, may never even knew that it had a jump feature. But once you nail the jumping feature, um, if you can jump and boost at the same time, it almost turns into a platformer in some instances. <laughs> you're jumping so much. Wow. Uh, the track designs are really... Uh, kind of fun and the music is sort of like this weird oh man how would you even describe it like if you're out at some festival and there was like a cantina band like playing star wars music like covers oh. of star wars music sort of sort of like that is the huh. best way i can describe it like yeah. these really cool renditions of star wars songs that have never appeared anywhere else it's awesome. uh, all with a super chibi design so anybody out there that's a star wars fan uh especially if you're a fan of episode one all three of you. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, wow. That's a really small audience, Pete. But believe it or not, though, a lot of people have been coming out of the coming out of the woodworks lately, professing their profound love for episode one. And it really surprises me. Like there's a lot of people that grew up with that movie lately that have been admitting that it's their favorite Star Wars of all time. Really? Wow. I mean, and then you ask those people to summarize the story and they're like, uh <laughs> politics. <laughs> uh <laughs> no, but I can understand it because I I was the right age for that movie when it came out. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know what was going on with the story, but it was a spectacle, you know, in theaters. Yeah, absolutely. But if you have 10 bucks, I'd highly recommend it. Um, let's see. Yeah, Rusty, you have the PS2. We can get that and try yeah. that out. I'm, I'm going to eBay in now. In your closet. I'm going to eBay now. 
Hey, Pete likes my little uh, gaming closet, so calm down. <laughs> okay. I like it. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's got style. Yeah. Very cozy. Very cozy. Yeah. Um, I'll just quickly rapid fire through some of these, but I played Reboot on the PS1 based oh, off that mm-hmm. 90s television show for kids, like the CG show yep. that I never watched, really. Uh, but the game, wow. One of the best ps1 games i ever played with one glaring flaw like the game itself the controls you're riding around on a hoverboard it's very it feels good like the controls are complex but it just feels really good to kind of glide around it almost feels like an extreme sports game but not quite tony hawk okay uh the levels are very diverse and uh they they you get that sense of exploration as you're kind of moving through the levels where there's tons of turns and hidden areas to to shoot the enemies and, and collect these things to end the level. The one problem with it was it was uh, just incredibly difficult. One of the hardest PS1 games I think I've ever played. Really? I had to give up. Yeah. If it wasn't for that, though, I'd, I'd say it's one of the best PS1 games I've I've played in terms of production and just the idea behind it. Just a simple third person shooting game that just felt really good. Um, yeah, it looked I mean, the graphically it looked great. I mean, I was watching you stream it a couple nights ago, like you were saying, and it definitely looked entertaining. But yeah, you were getting pretty, pretty heated on some of the segments. Oh, so. yeah. Especially because I had someone in chat known as Mia Chums who had apparently <laughs> beat the game before off stream, parking on how easy the game was. Meanwhile, he was lying the whole time to make me look bad. Oh, <laughs> now, here, here's one. Have you guys ever played Luminous on the PSP or any of the other iter- iterations? I'm so ashamed to it. say that I haven't. Yeah, it's one PSP game I, I never played. played. But yeah. I'm I'm pretty vocal about my dislike for Tetris. I know I'm one of the few people in the world that doesn't really No, I can second Tetris. that one for okay, sure. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> I, I finally found somebody. Yeah, like it feels like when you say you don't really like Tetris, you're about to be like crucified by Yeah, no, that's what I feel community. like too. Yeah. It's just that when I grew up with Tetris, it was like I played it but I wasn't hooked on it. However, Luminous for me is like my Tetris. Luminous is the perfect puzzle game that I just fell in love with on the launch of the PSP. Um, just that melding of amazing music and just that audio visual um, response that you get from placing blocks. So it's my yeah. favorite puzzle game of all time. And wow. I highly, highly recommend the new remaster, which is of the first Luminous, the best one by far. Uh, they came out with it on PS4, Xbox One, I think, and maybe PC. I'm not sure on that, but I can 100% confirm it's on PS4 and okay. Switch and Switch. Yeah, we'll have to All check right. that out. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm actually kind of right there with you, Pete, as far as not being the biggest fan of Tetris. I just, I think it's kind of dull to say, I guess, to put it in layman's terms. Uh, I like a lot of the the offshoots or maybe the, the obscure mm. kind of um, shameless ripoffs of Tetris. So like Yoshi on the 3DS Virtual Console, that's like one of my most played games. It's just basically like different parts of Yoshi's eggs are falling and you have to try and like, um, essentially create a full egg. Um, I don't know. I just I just like those falling blocks type of games, but Tetris was never one that, that really struck out to me. Like Pokemon Puzzle League is really great. Those types of games. But yeah, Luminous Remastered, I'll definitely check it out. I remember it was like 3 o'clock in the morning, I rolled over and uh, I looked at my phone and I just got a notification that Pete was streaming t- uh, Luminous Remastered. And I was like, well, got to roll out of bed and check out what this is all about. <laughs> it's like 3.30 in the morning and I watched like 20. 20- I, I, I was getting ready to go to sleep and then I'm like, you know, I just really want to play some Tetris right now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I did. I mean, not Tetris, uh, Luminous. Yeah, um, but yeah. For those of you that are not the biggest fans of Tetris, such as myself, I would say one to keep your eye on, though, is Tetris Effect, uh, which is coming up from 
Tetsuya Mizuguchi, which is the creator Luminous of Lupo. Luminous. So, uh, you know, if I love Luminous, I, I feel like Tetris Effect is going to be the one to to bring me back in because I love that just the 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 glaring sound effects and music, just the way that he ties together his, his puzzle games with music and visuals is just I really like. Mm-hmm. So I'll give Tetris another shot with, uh, with that. I mean, other than that, I was just having to play a lot of Club Drive on the Jaguar and Spider-Man on the 32X for GDQ. Um, other than that, I was playing Tail Concerto. Oh, that, was, that was a cool looking little game. Yeah, I mean, it's just unfortunate, though, that it's published by Atlas, which in turn means that it's, you know, a hundred dollar game. Yeah, because that's what Atlas does to games. Uh, but that's it's the prequel to Solitaire Robo on the DS. OK, if anybody's familiar with that. Yep. Uh, just a cute little game where you play as a dog in a mech and you capture cats. You know, just your typical video game. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of compar- yeah. a lot of people compare it to Mega Man Legends visually and gameplay wise. Um, it's fun. It's it's a cool game. I don't think I could recommend it, though, for the hundred and twenty plus dollars that it goes for these days. That's insane. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Now, yeah. Pete, when you bought that game, what did you pay for it? Um, I bought it. Well, here's the thing. I used to have like three sealed copies of it. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah because back in the days on digital press there was a buying and selling form on there and somebody was selling sealed copies of it for i think like 20 dollars. so my young collector self i was like okay this game is gonna probably be worth money in the future because it's from atlas so i bought three sealed copies um i sold two many years ago but i think i only managed to sell one of them for like 80 and then the second one I sold at a convention for about 90 or 100. And that was only about two years ago. Wow. Because um, it didn't sell during the convention. And then at the very last hour or two, I, I did like a sale of 10 or I think it was like 20% off everything I was selling. So someone snatched that up for way cheaper than I should have been able to sell it for. Yeah, that's too bad. Um, so I ended up selling a sealed copy of it for less than the used version or about the same price because I, I bought it during a, a eBay sale of 20% off. So oh, okay, gotcha. I, I forget what I paid, but it was about 90, 100, something like that. I don't know. Okay, okay. But even honestly, if you gave me the option to buy a, a used copy for 100 and a sealed copy for 100, I would buy the used simply because I can't, I can't bring myself to buy a sealed game to open. Like I feel like it's preserved <laughs> for collectors. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I ran into you know, there's a couple shops around here that aren't GameStop where you can buy games, and I ran into a sealed copy of Star Wars Starfighter in the PS2 for five dollars sealed, and mm-hmm. SpongeBob Battle for Bikini Bottom. But I, I'm pretty confident those games aren't going to be 120 dollars on eBay in like 10 years from now. So I'm perfectly fine opening those up. Uh, but- keep keep your eyes on Battle for Bikini Bottom though, because that's one of the biggest speedrun games. Really? In terms of a community. Yeah, that's a really big speed run. So, you know, years from now, if it continues to take off, uh, that's one to keep your eye on, actually. Okay, maybe I'll buy a used copy then, just in case. Put my pop- But my- see, I, I can deal with buying a sealed copy of a game for five or ten bucks. Yeah. But, like, those super rare games? No, I'll, I'll leave that to somebody else. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, cool. Is that all? Is that all, Pete? That you've been playing? Yeah, that's that's pretty. That's pretty much it. <laughs> is that all? It's like a list of like twenty games. <laughs> oh, believe me, believe me. There's 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 way more. Like I'm infamous for back in the day, Ryan. If you my were, old gen gamers yeah, podcast, <laughs> there were, there were episodes that were like the like literally the title was like Pete's games been uh, games Pete has been playing recently. Like I remember one 
the thumbnail picture was just a bunch of dogs like yapping and it was just like blah 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 i think i think i talked about the games i had been playing for about an hour and a half in that episode i think you had splatter trigger on the episode yeah (laughs) uh classic algin gamers good stuff yeah you have to go back and listen to those episodes ryan i think it's almost uh, a yearly tradition for me to go through like all of my favorites which is probably about 15 to 20 different episodes like you know the addicts speak of their past when you and Johnny went on and on about, you know, MMO addictions, which we'll get into later. There's a whole slew of really, really great episodes. Yeah, there's some weird, weird jokes in that podcast. Like someone told me once <laughs> that they were they were listening in, listening in reverse order. And I'm like, wait a minute. How are they understanding all the oh, no. in jokes and memes and like, oh, man, that's 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 kind of odd. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. You definitely have to go from the beginning because especially like ryan if you've never listened to an episode there's just like if you're at episode like 98 and you hear freaking whale just start like making noises you're not gonna not gonna know what the heck's going on but, but yeah <laughs> that'll be jarring for sure uh yeah good stuff so uh well we've gotten on enough tangents so ryan what have you been playing this week yeah so i've been in chicago all week so i haven't really had much time to play actual video games on like my ps4 um, so I've just been playing Crush 'Em All. It's just a tap game on my iPhone while I was there. And then I found out about the game Fibbage, oh, which yeah. we actually played, yep. uh, Rusty and I. Um, it's basically, it's a game on your PS4 and it gives you like a trivia question. And everyone kind of logs in with their phone and mm-hmm. they try to mess with the other people by putting a fake answer on there. And then you have to answer the question and all your fake answers are there. And then one correct answer. Um, yes. So, so for example, yeah, it's like a like party game. one of the topics was, or one of the questions was this celebrity, you know, actor um, was voted by his teachers be, to be the first one in the class to be sent to blank. And so all the answers came up. And of course, you know, I think Lauren, my wife, you know, put like bathroom. I put like law school. Someone put, you know, like prison, and then, of course, out of nowhere, these psycho, these psychotic teachers, the correct answer was the electric chair. People thought <laughs> Sylvester Stallone was going to be the first to go to the electric chair. But it's just really fun to, like, especially when it's super late at night, when people are just coming up with all these kind of wacky answers for these weird topics. And it's just a great party game. It's part of the Jackbox Party Pack, like, slew of mini right. games that you can get. Um, for those that might not know, I think there's, like, four of them now. But you can download some of the games individually on PSN. Um, and I think Fibbage is on sale for like $2.50 right now. Do they happen to have a specific category where you, you only get video game related questions or is it just a mix of everything? Unfortunately not. So at the beginning of each, they each person, with you're playing with five people, they cycle through the five different people and you get to choose a topic for each. It's kind of like Jeopardy in that sense. And they're just like one word things. So it could just be like, I don't know, Ryan, what were some of the random categories? They weren't even specific to like pop culture or movies. It was more just like a word like... Yeah, like food or something. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, some more obscure ones. I really um, wish, though, that they would, you know, do a specific, like, pop culture category, whether it be movies or music or even video games. That would be really neat. But um, I don't think that was that was something that you could kind of I'm do. sure there are expansion packs and things for it. Oh, yeah. As well. Because yeah. um, I think within Jackbox Party Pack 4, which is what we played, um, mm-hmm. I think that was the third version of Fibbage. So I'm sure there's plenty of other you know, video game and pop culture related subjects that you could run into. But it, it's unfortunate that you can't kind of hone in on one category. 
Yeah, I think also the randomness of it makes it more entertaining as well. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, but it's very neat, and I think you know we're at a point with with technology and video games where it's so neat to be able to just go to Jackbox slash TV or whatever it might be on your phone, and then the, the the PS4 itself, the game will prompt you a password. You plug that in, and you and the party of people that you're playing with will immediately be in that game, and you can kind of sign in with whatever name, and then you're just you. There's like four like three or four different rounds, you get a certain number of points if somebody picks your answer and it's the fib, or if you if you submit the right answer on your phone, you get like, you know, a certain number of points. And um, it's just really cool. Can you cool. play against complete strangers or does it have to be against people you know? I'm pretty sure it's just people you know. So if, yeah, if you get like five or six people together in the same room, you just play against people you know. I don't know if there's an online feature. Do you know that, Ryan? No, I don't. I haven't looked around. I think it was, we were just playing in the room. I think it's more meant to be like a party game. You sit down with a bunch of people in your room and play it kind of co-op equivalent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, for three dollars, it's worth getting regardless. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you've invested more into cat games or your dog games. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, yeah. no, it's, it was definitely it was a good time, especially if you got, got a bunch of people together. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's all I've been playing this week. What about you, Rusty? Yeah, so I'm still like, you know, since I'm sitting in my little dungeon, that's kind of where all my like kind of <laughs> retro stuff is. So I've been playing a lot of PS1 and PS2 stuff. So one of the games I kind of talked last podcast about um, when I was on vacation, I took uh, Lion King Simba's Muddy Adventure on the Game Boy Color, which is just a fun little 2D platformer, collectathon type thing. And uh, you can beat it in like less than an hour. Well, back in the day, you know, I wasn't, one that had a Sega Genesis or a Super Nintendo, so I didn't have the notoriously hard Lion King game uh, for those systems. But what I did have was Lion King Simba's Mighty Adventure on the PS1. And I remember it being a very fun, similar kind of platformer, but just not as difficult. And so recently got another copy of it on the PS1, and I played through it. And it's funny, Pete, you know, now that you're doing all this speedrunning on Twitch, I find myself, you know, <laughs> going through some of these different platforming segments, and I'm just like, there's time button presses here that I could do to really make this more efficient. And it's, I got <laughs> the, the beginning stages. I'll get you, I'll get you roped in eventually. It's like a gateway drug, man. You watch these videos <laughs> yeah. and it's just, you get hooked in, but don't, I'll just give you a pro tip. Don't do it because you'll never be able to play a video game the same way. Every I day. know like, it's so bad. Every game I play, all I'm thinking about is how can I glitch through this wall? How can I go faster? Like just, ugh, it's like, it's a blessing, but a curse. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's a fun game. So it's actually a mix of 2D and 3D platforming and kind of like a bird's eye view. So certainly when, you know, if you've seen the film when there's like the, uh, what is it, the chase that Scar, he's like in the gorge and that's when Mufasa dies. It's kind of like um, like a front view. It's kind of like Crash Bandicoot, you know, when like the boulder level when it's like chasing you and you're running away from it. It's like that kind of a view from Simba's perspective. Uh, but it's fun in the sense that, you know, you, you run around the levels and if you've played either Tony Hawk when you're collecting the letters as you go from the beginning to the end of the level or even Tarzan on the N64, you kind of collect the letters to spell out Tarzan. You collect letters on each level to, to, to spell out Simba. And if you collect all of them, you unlock a clip at the end of the video. And you can probably watch. It's kind of actually um, pretty impressive because you can watch about 15% of the Lion King movie on the PS1. They have like hmm. actual footage from the film um, at the beginning and end of each level. And uh, it's pretty impressive in that regard. But great music. I would say the graphics are admirable, but they definitely don't in any way come close to the Genesis and Super Nintendo models. Um, you know, in those, they were so perfectly sketched and hand-drawn. And these are very 
very clay model-esque, you know, very PS1 graphic type. So, um, you know, it's not great. But it was interesting because I looked to see kind of the reception that this game got from critics at the time. And Daily Radar, I don't even know if they were associated with Games Radar, if that was something completely different. But they gave it a zero out of 10 back in the day. What? Yeah. And wow. so I, this is a, a uh, little snippet of their review. They said, avoid this one at all costs. And if your child begs for it after seeing it on store shelves, spare them unending agony by only renting it. And then only as punishment for misbehaving. Oh my God. <laughs> I was just like, wow, these people That's are like brutal. savages. Like the game is not that bad in any regard. If you like the Lion King, if you like 2D, 3D platformers, pick it up. It's a fun 45 to an hour, you know, little experience. Uh, I don't know. I think it was enjoyable and certainly one that I'd want my kids to play if they watch the Lion King, you know, down the road. Uh, so pick that one up if you like platformers. It's all right. Uh, two other games on the PlayStation 2 that I played. So one, Pete, um, actually both of these I, f I picked up as a result of your PS2 stream, you know, every game in the PS2 library. Mm -hmm. And so the first one was Cartoon Network Racing. And so, you know, I watched the 10 to 15 second clip that you showed in, in your stream and I thought, okay, well, I wasn't, I was more of a Nickelodeon kid growing up, but certainly the Cartoon Network characters I like, so I'll give it a shot. It was, I don't know, 10 bucks, 12 bucks, whatever it was. So I get it, and there's actually only six cartoons represented, which I thought was kind of um, disappointing. So you got Courage the Cowardly Dog, Johnny Bravo, Dexter's Lab, what else? Cow and Chicken, Powderpuff Girls, and then one that just really just baffles me. I mean, I don't know, and I, I'm sorry, fans of the show, I Am Weasel. I never watched it. It just looked very strange to me. I don't know why they didn't have, like, Ed, Ed and Eddie or Billy and Mandy or something, but those maybe they were planning a sequel to add those in or something could have been. So since this came out in the PS2 era, definitely subsequent to Mario Kart Double Dash, it's basically a shameless ripoff of that. So you actually pick two kart racers for each race and you can mix and match just like you could in Double Dash. So you can have, you know, Dexter in the front seat and Johnny Bravo in the back. And it's it's very much the same. So. Whichever characters, you know, speed, acceleration, and handling you choose first, that's going to be the one that's going to be driving, and it's their settings that you're going to be configured to. And then the person sitting in the back seat, those are the power-ups that you're going to be able to use in the game. But wow, this game is garbage. It's so bad. It's, <laughs> it's basically controls like... So think of it like this. You're trying to go around a turn. It's basically like a yacht with tricycle wheels trying to get it to drift. I mean, it's just horrible. Super floaty, and... What I found really interesting is that I felt like I was like three miles ahead of the AI in my first race. And then when I crossed the finish line, they were milliseconds behind me. And so that reminds me of super bomb bed racing, where if you watch the mini map, if you're like too far ahead, you'll actually see them warp the other racers. Like just you look at the mini map there one place and then suddenly they're right behind you. Like yeah. the rubber bending isn't not even that subtle. Yeah. So maybe, wow. you know, and I was thinking about as I was kind of like, thinking about the game and kind of typing up some notes, I was thinking like, you know, I'm gonna sit here and bash this game and Pete's going to be on eBay, like searching for it and clicking buy it now, right now. Cause it's going to be right up his alley. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's an all right cart racer graphically, you know, the character models are kind of like cell shaded. So I think that's kind of neat. Um, there's different tournament modes. There's, there's one mode that's really unique. I've never seen this in a racing game, but basically it's like last man standing. So you keep going until essentially you're the last man standing. So if there's five or six people in a race, once you cross the finish line, the person that's in last after the first lap is immediately booted. And you just mm -hmm. keep going until you're the last person. 
So I think, you know, they at least tried to set themselves apart, but um, the way it's structured, it's it's just a Mario Kart Double Dash ripoff. That actually sounds like an amazing mode for like a Mario Kart oh, online. Yeah. Again, yeah, like I thought it was certainly interesting to kind of set themselves apart in that regard. Um, the only other thing that's kind of, think that's kind of unique, I think if you beat all the tournament modes, you actually unlock two in full episodes of each of the cartoons represented in the game. Um, so you can just watch two full episodes of Courage, Johnny Bravo, so on and so forth. So I think that's kind of unique too, um, but it's definitely not for everyone. Pete, could be a fun game for you to stream, but uh, for the average person out there, I wouldn't wouldn't really recommend it. So Yeah, I'll probably pass. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not great, but... The other game that I was playing was another game that, Pete, I uh, saw in your video, and I'm huge into Disney platformers, whether it be new or old, and so I popped in PK Out of the Shadows, a game that's also notoriously known for its poor reception from critic and public alike, and so basically the game kicks off, you know, it's this D- uh, Disney 3D adventure platformer, you're playing as Donald Duck, and so he is acting as a security guard. He falls asleep on the job and he's like having this dream where Daisy and uh, what are the three little ducks, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, they're basically just like yelling at him for for being a lame whatever. You know, he's working this security job. So he is frustrated and he like basically wishes that he was a superhero. So uh, because video games, some guy comes up on his, this Jumbotron and sucks him into the screen. He turns into this alter ego and he becomes a superhero. And so it's a neat little setup. You know, you're playing as Donald Duck. You have, like, this little thing on your wrist that basically acts as your main means of progressing through the levels. You can shoot little laser, green laser beams out of it, and uh, you get little temporary power-ups from running over certain things. So you can shoot out laser or larger lasers and, you know, uh, more just more powerful ones. And then uh, this little guy that is, you know, kind of instructing you through certain levels, he'll hop on the uh, your little radar or whatever every now and again and kind of um, program new enhancements to this little thing on your wrist so you can eventually punch through glass to get through certain areas of the level things like that uh, it's not also a very a game i'd give a glowing review to it has a very comic book aesthetic you know like when you punch people you get little pow you know like little uh, text that comes across the screen things like that um it's your average 3d platformer music is like got this weirdo ambient techno kind of vibe to it it's not like anything you'd really expect from a disney game uh so i guess in that regard it's, it's kind of cool but um yeah the main sidekick is basically bentley from sly cooper but without any personality at all um so personality is overrated yeah I, I guess i guess maybe but bentley <laughs> bentley he's my ps4 avatar he's like my uh he's my homeboy I, I like bentley he's a good guy but i don't know pk out of the shadows it's a fun 3d platformer. i think you can beat it in three and a half hours i put like an hour into it and i'm enjoying it i'm gonna play it to completion but again nothing i'd ride home about um but pete i think you have that one have you ever played it i bought it not that long ago like last year i got it at a convention um i bought it simply because it was super cheap and it's a 3d platformer so i figured one of these days i'll get around to it but i tend to shy away from stealth style games Mm-hmm. So, like, the only one I've ever really kind of enjoyed was um, Sly 4 or whatever it was on the PS4. That Thieves one was time. okay. Yeah. yeah, Thieves in Time. Uh, I just, I don't know, I don't really care too much for, like, the slower style platformers like that. But I'm sure one of these years I'll give it a shot. Yeah, I mean, it's it's worth popping in. I mean, I'm glad I got, I got it for, like I said, like, eight, five bucks. I don't know what it was. But super cheap, 
fun 3D platformer. I'm glad I picked it up. But yeah, nothing, nothing. Uh, I you know give a raving review about. But uh, so those are the games that everyone's been playing. Good stuff. Uh, as we usually do, we kind of transition into listener questions, and uh, we got one question from Alec. I hope he doesn't uh, wasn't mad that last episode we didn't answer it. I wanted to wait until Pete was on the show because I thought it was something that he could um, might have a good opinion about. So let me pull it up here. He says. Uh, okay, this is Alex speaking, not myself. He says, most of the time, games don't live up to the hype around them, like the entire 2014 AAA release calendar. But what game has hyped you up or got you really excited for a game uh, that actually lived up to the hype? And speaking of Thieves in Time, he says, for me, it was Sly 4 Thieves in Time. Rusty, like you, I love Sly Cooper games. They are far, by far my favorite 3D platformers. When I found out a fourth one was coming out, I lost my mind. I about froze myself like Cartman did to wait for the Wii to come out. That's that's an interesting uh, analogy there. But um, he says when it finally came out on the PS3, it was everything I dreamed uh, a new Sly, uh, a new gen Sly Cooper would be. Everything from the gameplay, style, characters, and story was perfectly crafted for a new entry in the series. Many years later, I had sky high hopes, expect or sky high expectations for the game, and it shattered even those. So he says, either of you guys have a game like that? So Pete. Any games that lived up to the hype leading up to its release? Um, honestly, I, I don't think I can choose anything other than... I mean, there's a lot of games I can choose, but for me, it was probably Dark Cloud on the PS2. Really? Uh, okay. Interesting yeah. choice. Well, my reasoning behind that is because people that remember before Dark Cloud came out, it was getting hyped up as the Zelda killer. Like That was pretty much how the promotion was for Dark Cloud. Like This is the Legend of Zelda for the PS2. Which, once you play Dark Cloud, you realize how far that game is from <laughs> actually being like Legend of Zelda, which I thought yeah. was really, really interesting. Um, but for people that never knew, I actually, I was so hyped for Dark Cloud. I actually made a fan website for that game, like, re- <laughs> almost wow. a year before it came out. So I was covering, like, news, like, okay, guys, we got this much, like, oh, we found out this about the game. Uh, you know, here's some new screenshots. And then the game came out. And like, just imagine hyping yourself up for almost a year with a fan site leading up to the release of this game. So the expectations were so high for Dark Cloud for many people, including myself. And uh, I I think it really lived up to my hype. It's one of the only games ever, possibly actually, yeah, probably ever outside of an MMO that would force me to wake up in the morning. But before I'd wake up to go to school, I'd wake up an hour early so I can play Dark Cloud before I went to school, which was like unheard of for me at the time. <laughs> um, you know, I was making my own guides. I I did the fishing mini game in there for God knows how long to, to make the first fishing guide for Dark Cloud. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I and I kept up with the website for many months after, after the game release. So I, I'd say in terms of like a game getting me super hyped and it actually living up to those expectations, I'd, I'd say Dark Cloud because we didn't know it at the time, but that was like one of the first Western roguelikes to come to the PS2. And I know roguelike is a genre that gets tossed around not so lightly anymore. There's a lot of roguelikes out there. But back then, we didn't really realize that we were playing a, a modern roguelike uh, with randomly generated dungeons. And the house building was really unique or the, the village town building was really unique. Um, just a really different concept for an RPG at the time. Um, for me and like if i had to give an honorable mention i'd probably say anything from the elder scrolls series particularly yeah. morrowinds oblivion skyrim and also a quick 
shout out to KOTOR. That's the old Republic on Xbox as well. Oh, of course. Games that I felt really, really lived up to the hype. That's interesting because I've actually... Okay, so I have played Dark Cloud, the first one. I remember going into a Game Crazy back in the day. Saw it. Just the animation style looked really interesting to me, and I picked it up, took it home, and I played it for like an hour, and I just had no idea what I was doing. Like I was like mm-hmm. maybe 10 years old at the time, so... Is it something that's worth going back to? I know it's like one of the PS2 classics you can download yeah, on the PS4 absolutely. now. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't blame you for not getting into it when you were 10 because there's a lot of archaic, very foreign ideas mm-hmm. in Dark Cloud that if you've never played a roguelike back when you're 10, like you're going to be like, what the heck is going on here? Because don't forget, you have a water system where you can die from not drinking water. There's weapon breaking. There's leveling up your weapons. The dungeons are random. You're building a town. Like all these things where if you played it when you were younger, it would have probably confused the heck out of you. And the graphics were a little mundane, like a little boring in the first dungeon. So don't blame people for for not getting into it, but completely recommend getting the PS4 version. This game is out on PS4 as a PS2 to PS4 re-release. So nice high-res graphics. Uh, it's on sale right now, actually, for like six bucks. I so, might have to download that tonight. That actually sounds... Yeah. Excellent. This is the kind of game you can get lost in quite easily. Um, I think you'd really appreciate it now. However, a lot of people would say, but Pete, he should play Dark Cloud 2 instead. And I'll say ask that. You. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, you do, you do not have to play the first one before the second. There's no connection really with the story at all. Sort of like Final Fantasy to Final Fantasy. You don't have to play 7 to play 8. Um, the thing about uh, Dark Cloud 2 is it introduces a lot of new mechanics that I wasn't the biggest fan of, but others are. Like you can ride around on a mech and customize the mech. Um, there's a photo taking mode. There's a golf mini game. Like all these additions that I felt kind of detracted from the nice simplicity of the first Dark Cloud. I just preferred the style of the first one. However, most people would disagree with me and say that Dark Cloud 2 is the better of the game because the graphics are nice cell shaded. There's a lot of additions to kind of streamline the gameplay and make it easier. Um, so I would say that's a rough one. Maybe take a look at the graphic styles of both games and decide from there which one you'd rather play, but you See, can't I, go wrong with either game. I've never gotten into mechs, and so when you mentioned that mechanic, it kind of turned me off, but I don't know. I think I know I hold your opinion in pretty high regard, and I think it'd be so hard for me if I did end up playing two to go back to one. So it is I, very hard. Yeah. yeah, so I'm probably just going to start with one and, and see how I feel about that, especially for six bucks. You can't go wrong. Uh, yeah, so, I'm taking a look at it. It looks pretty cool um, just from the images on Google. Yeah, I mean, the basic idea is the, the dungeons are random. You just go down, you, you find items that you use to rebuild towns in the game. So it's sort of like a town building game. Very simple concept. It's uh, pretty straightforward, a lot of fun. Awesome. Nice. Cool recommendation. Yeah, that's good stuff. So Ryan, what about you, man? What has uh, what game has lived up to the expectations? Um, I also have the Elder Scrolls game, so um, Oblivion. I never really played Morrowind back in the day, but Oblivion for sure. And then when Skyrim was being hyped, I definitely jumped on that train. Um, anything with dragons, I'm pretty into. Ryan, do you remember the first time in Oblivion when, like, you start in the cave in the beginning of the game and like the tutorial cave? And then the first time that you exit the cave into sort of like the overworld was probably one of my most memorable experiences in gaming ever. Just sort of like the entering the open world for the first time and seeing the outside. That was just one of the best parts of Elder Scrolls for me. Yeah, I still get chills when they go the uh, I think it's the opening cinematic where it kind of goes around um, Tamriel and it goes around that main tower and you have that like really low voice 
I forget whoever does the voice or the voice actor. Um, but it's just kind of explaining where, like where in time you are. I still get chills. Like I get goosebumps watching that cinematic. Um, I haven't, I haven't gone back to play, uh, oblivion ever since it came out, but that, that is one series where each subsequent release, it's like probably the biggest event in gaming history for me. When one of those (laughs) games comes out, it really is. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was so excited, you know, I know we didn't get much of a reveal. They're probably still on, on whiteboards and storyboards trying to figure out what, where they want to go with elder Scrolls six. But when Todd Howard said, Oh, and there's one more game one that all of you guys have been asking about and the drums start playing and they hone in on elder scrolls six across the screen. I mean that, that made E3 for me pretty much, you know, that was just so exciting to know that yes, we're making it. Yes, it's coming. I don't care if it's three or four years from now, whatever it might have been. It's just, it's just so exciting to know that a new, a new elder scrolls is in development. Could you just imagine if the PS five launches with the final fantasy seven remake and elder scrolls six, I mean, it would never happen. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, because I feel like the timeline that that those two games are on right now, I feel like it's not, you know, out of the question, in all honesty. But could you just imagine for a second if the PS5 launched with 7 Remake? I mean, not to get too off topic here, but... No, no, no. That would sell... Probably be the fastest selling console, like launch of all time. It It would outpace the Switch by far. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think people would be far more excited to play that than breath of the wild on the two timelines because like certainly zelda i mean is one of the most if not the most iconic gaming franchise in the industry but elder i mean uh final fantasy 7 the following behind that game is just absurd well don't forget too that nintendo was like oh breath of the wild also on wii u so not a reason to upgrade to a switch exactly exactly (laughs) yeah yeah so um Especially, so what they would have to do, though, is make it exclusive to PS5. Otherwise, oh yeah, PS5 wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be. I, I hope they do. I, yeah. I really hope they do. I want them to freaking use the most power out of that system as they can. And I want that game to be as high-powered and graphically impressive as they can make it. And I think it wouldn't be possible unless it is on the PS5. I'm so. very confident that 7 is going to be a PS5 game because we would have probably seen something new at this year's e- yeah, I think that almost basically solidified it, you know, because otherwise, yeah, I was expecting, I mean, when we were doing E3 predictions, I was saying, like, I think that game's further along than people think it is. I think we're definitely going to see gameplay this year, and they're going to say, you know, holiday 2019. But now that they didn't show anything, I think that's pretty much set in stone that, yeah, that's a PS5 game. So have they said that they are going to do a remake of 7? Oh, yeah. Like, it's, officially? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's happening. Okay. Not okay. the remake people were hoping for. Yeah. Because uh, it's like completely remade. It's not going to be the seven that you remember from your childhood where it's like turn-based battles. They're probably going to take a lot of freedom and liberties with uh, restructuring the flow of the game, to say okay. the least. Because it, it used to be a turn-based RPG and now it's a fast-paced action, third-person action RPG. Yeah. So it's going to be quite different. Yeah, I think it'll probably play more similarly similarly to crisis core on the psp than it would the the final fantasy game yeah we knew and love so i'd be curious to see where the price point of the ps5 is gonna hit i mean ps4 what was 600 when it launched no wasn't it 450 i thought 
I think it was three ninety nine with an option of a five hundred. I can't remember. I'm pretty bad with that stuff. It, yeah. The six hundred dollar one was PS three. PS three. Yeah. Okay, I think it'll be a, a five hundred dollar console. I I think at, Sony. At least. Yeah, yeah. Sony learned their lesson. I don't. I just don't think people are willing to fork out six hundred dollars unless there's some kind of attachment or game bundled in. Um, <laughs> Final Fantasy Seven launch bundle. I mean, I'd pay. I'd okay. pay six hundred for that. I would. I would. I'd have to get my wife <laughs> on the board. Lauren's not here to yeah. <laughs> hear that one. I'd just give her a glass yeah. of wine, wait a few hours, and just be like, hey, so, you know, let's go. Let's pop over to Best Buy real quick. No, it'd be, I already ordered this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's probably how it would play out. Yeah. That's probably how yeah. it would play out. Um, But, anyways, yeah. so for me, similar to you guys, I think for Skyrim, you know, the next question that we have, I'll talk about Oblivion, but the hype leading up to Skyrim's, of course, was was so huge. And, certainly exceeded my expectations. I just remember, I feel like this was the initial reveal when similar to the, like how elder Scrolls six was revealed when they were just like panning across a wall and they were kind of playing the, the Dovahkiin like song or whatever. And then it eventually revealed like elder Scrolls five Skyrim. Cause I don't remember in that initial reveal that I remember at least that they showed any gameplay. It was more just like you heard the music and the drums and it was across yeah, and chanting and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, you know, being such a Lord of the Rings fanboy that I am, um, very few games have kind of been able to live up to the hype. Of course, I love games like Return of the King. And I talked about that. Actually, you know what? I'm actually going to retell this story because I don't know if Pete heard it. So my initial response, my initial answer to this was going to be uh, Shadow of Mordor because I know it, it borrows so heavily from you know, Assassin's Creed and, and the Batman Arkham fighting mechanics. But for me to kind of openly be able to explore Mordor, um, as challenging as the game was, I kind of took um, to that. And I, I love the game. I've actually 100%ed both that and Shadow of War. Um, I've probably pumped both games combined probably about 200 hours because I actually played Shadow of Mordor twice. I played it on the Xbox 360, and it was a janky mess, but I still beat it, and I'm proud of myself for doing so. And then I beat uh, it again, Ryan, when you let me borrow the Game of the Year edition on the PS4. Yeah. But any case, so taking us back to 10-year-old Rusty, Christmas, you know, my parents are divorced, and my mom didn't have the most lucrative of professions. She was a hairstylist, and, you know, she told my sister and I it wasn't going to be the most glorious of Christmases because she just didn't have the money to, to buy us, you know, great gifts as terrible as that sounds but um i asked my mom repeatedly that i wanted a ps2 and a copy of lord of the rings the return of the king because of course the movie was going to be releasing you know at the end of the month i think it came out uh in the, the christmas of that year but in any case i asked her repeatedly and she just told me that rusty it just wasn't going to happen this year i i just i just cannot you know fork over the money to, to buy the console so well, my sister and I, we, you know, opened up all of our gifts and we were, you know, disappointed that, or at least I was disappointed that I didn't get the PS2, but I understood. I was, um, you know, mature enough to know that my mom just didn't have the money to buy it. Well, being the superstar mom that she was, she said, you know, you guys, you each have one more gift. So she, of course, uh, brought out this giant uh, box that was making noises and put it in front of my sister. She uh, gently <laughs> opened it and uh, it was a little ferret that we ended up naming Jasmine rest her soul. She, we had her for like 10 years. She was like the most, uh, how long do ferrets usually live? I don't think that long. I mean, like maybe six to eight years. I mean, she definitely exceeded her, uh, her lifespan. She, she was a great little, little thing. She, um, 
ferrets are such unique creatures. You know, you can kind of like bend them. They're almost like slinkies or something. I don't even know. Yeah, they're like six to yeah. ten years, according to Google. Yeah, so she she lived a long time, and we just we let her out of her cage, and we let her run around for for two days around the house. She'd burrow, find her way in like the the china cabinet, and like just kind of hang out under there for for an entire day. She, she was just such a neat, unique little creature. But in any case, I digress. So she, of course, brought one other box over to me, and it was like this standard brown box. And I was just like, okay, what is this? Like a big stuffed animal or something? My mom's notorious for like having a giant box and I rip it open and it's like a Best Buy gift card in the very bottom. So like I had, I had no idea what it was going to be. And so I open this box and there's just a bunch of wrapping paper and I'm like ripping through it, of course. And I just see the PS2 etched logo on the top of the black fat system. I got two controllers and a brand new stinking copy of Lord of the Rings, the return of the King. And of course you got to think this is before the movie released. Okay. So I pop this game in with my sister. We're playing co-op and I just see the opening cinematic to the Helm's Deep, you know, Gandalf's riding it on his white horse. You play that amazing, um, epic battle. And then you're introduced to Ryan. You talked about it, this dwarven wall with three different paths. And you yeah. just have all these levels. You play through the Hobbit path, the wizard's path, the king's path. And being able to see footage from the film before I even saw it in theaters, I was crying. Spoilers. I was crying. Yeah, spoilers for, for Return of the King fans that haven't seen it yet. No, no, I mean like play, seeing the movie before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. But for me, I was just so head over heels in love with the game and just excited. I couldn't help myself. I was watching those scenes multiple times. Um, but yeah, so for me, if we're talking about expectations and hype, like just the hype of Christmas and wanting that game and then my mom completely surprising me and popping it in and seeing footage from a movie that would end up becoming one of my favorite movies of all time, it was just really an unforgettable Christmas experience. So I know I kind of went on for like nine minutes there, but that's, that's uh. no, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause that was on my list, but I figured you would grab that one. Yeah. That game definitely lived up to all expectations. And it's like, it had no <clears throat> right to be as good a game as it was. I mean, usually movie based titles. I mean, there's certainly some absolute gems in there, certainly, but like, um, Return of the King. I mean, of course, I should have expected because Two Towers is a great, you know, um, action adventure game too. But Return of the King took it to a new level with couch co-op and. Um, Heck, they had online multiplayer with voice chat. Yeah, I mean, just which was amazing for the time. So, Pete, did you play that? Because I actually, believe it or not, never played the PlayStation Two online. I know that's like ludicrous coming from a SOCOM guy over there. Um, but did you ever yeah, play I online? For Return of the King, I did, yeah. yeah okay. I remember my most vivid memory was getting randomly paired up with, like, this old... I mean, not old, old, but, like, you know, for when I was playing, she sounded pretty old, but, like, just getting paired up with a old gaming mother <laughs> as we were going through co-op. <laughs> you know, I didn't know who she was, but, you know, it, it was kind of surreal. Like, as my young self, I don't remember how old I was at the time when that game came out, but it was kind of surreal just playing with, like, someone's mom who had kids <laughs> yeah. like, over PS2 network with, uh, with that game. It was, it was really fun. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. So before we move away from that topic though, I'm just going to mention it. I'm not going to get into it because okay. I'm sure there's some people that know me. They're probably like, but Pete, how could you not mention the 10 year wait for the last guardian? <laughs> oh yeah, of course. And the only thing I say for that is yes, it was, it was worth the wait. <laughs> and uh, you can go to retro game explorers, Pete's, uh, newest podcast with bovine divine a friend of his from twitch 
and listen to episode something rather. It's like uh, my name is Trico, I think is what you named the episode. Something. Yeah, there's some episode where we talk about that yeah. game at length. Yeah. So definitely listen to that. It's good stuff. But anyways, our buddy Travis, who's uh, been writing in almost every week. So Travis, thanks for making the show better. He titles the the uh, the topic or the uh, the email here with 16-bit resurgence. So he says, hi, gents. He says, Hollow Knight continues to be great. I mean, Pete, if you haven't listened to like some of the previous episodes, Travis was going on and on about Hollow Knight being one of his, his favorite new games. And so he says, over 20 hours in now, and it's just as challenging and rewarding. I'm still discovering little pieces of the larger story and lore. I don't think I can say enough. I may even have to alter my top 10 games. It's becoming a contender for my number three of all time. So I had to go back. I still have all of the emails from prior uh, people writing in archived, and he has number three as uh, Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door. So for those of you out there that are fans of that game, he thinks it's possibly better than that. So take that for what it is. He said, it's reminding me of why I believe the Switch is such a success. It exemplifies both the new and the classics, playing to both our love and innovation, or love of innovation and nostalgia. Like Hollow Knight, games based on classic 16-bit, even 8-bit formulas are very popular with indie developers. So he thinks of a couple of a couple. Slow down, Rusty. Can't speak. Take a drink of water. He says, I thought of a couple questions for you two based on this. The first, he says, which three games from the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis era would you make mandatory for new gamers to play? And so. Pete, we didn't have the luxury of going out, growing up when those consoles were kind of in their heyday. So for me, I kind of picked three Super Nintendo games. And you can certainly chime in on Super Nintendo, but I think you could definitely speak to Genesis. But let's see if you disagree with me for Super Nintendo. So I, I chose Super Mario World, Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past, and Chrono Trigger as three mandatory games to play for that system. So Yeah, I would completely agree with that. That seems like the definite, like, holy trinity of super nintendo games that are pretty much mandatory for anybody to play yeah so what would you say for genesis though sonic 2 definitely um sonic 1 not so much uh sonic 2 is by far the better i know a lot of people would disagree and they'd say oh sonic 3 or sonic and knuckles no sonic 2 but that's just my bias because that was my favorite one growing up um god i'm just looking through my collection real fast of course I'd probably say, like, not definitive, but having only played it recently, and this game will kick your ass. It's uh, it's really tough, but having only... I played it on the Sega channel back in the day, but having played it late last year, I believe, Comic Zone... Oh, okay, will, yeah. ...will blow your mind in terms of just probably one of the best-looking, if not possibly the best-looking 16-bit game of its time. Really? Uh, just the animation, the color palette, the things they do thematically, because you're pretty much playing like an interactive comic where as you're transitioning through the stages, you're like ripping through the panels of the comic and just such cool, unique ideas. And I know I've never really spoken highly of Comic Zone in the past, so people must be like, wait, Pete's choosing Comic Zone in a top three? But kind of <laughs> just having played it recently, it just blew my mind. Uh, you know, when I was younger, when I played it on Sega Channel, it was just too hard. Like I could not even beat the first level. Yeah. Uh, very difficult game. But looking back at it now, that game is super significant. Um, and then let's see if there's anything else that would be top three worthy. Because um, you have like the Genesis collection, you know, like the uh, 
whether it's the one on the Xbox 360 or even the one recently released on Xbox One and PS4, anything on there that you think is like worthy well, of the top three? My my bias would say Golden X2. Okay. However, I will go with the probably the more definitive answer, even though I was never the biggest fan of Streets of Rage games. A lot of people would probably say Streets of Rage 2. Yeah, that makes sense. And so that's like essentially like a beat em up similar like TMNT, right? Right. Okay. Okay. Cool. So Ryan, over there, any any input on the uh, Super Nintendo Genesis Classics? No, uh, just basically Nintendo. I think the, all the original Mario's are the ones that I've played. Yeah. Um, yeah. Duck Hunt, I don't think was this system, right? So that it, was, it was on, a, that was just on the original Nintendo. Yeah. So system. I would just say all the Mario's are the ones that I've played on this system are worth playing for yeah. sure. Alrighty. So this next question, I've kind of like. For me personally, I'm going to flip it so you guys can choose to answer it either way you want. So he writes it as, are there any games you dominated as a kid, but when you tried to play them again as an adult, you got schooled? So for me, I kind of thought of the question on the opposite spectrum where, are there any games I played initially, couldn't get into, but then I went back to and was like, oh my gosh, this, this game is really something special. And so maybe I'll take the question first in that regard and for me, it's actually Oblivion. So when I played that game originally, I did not like it at all. I the the first person mechanics and you know fighting with the sword or bow and arrow or however you choose to play, for me, I just thought they were very clunky. Okay, I, I just could not get into it. Years later, and when I was in college, this is um, I think maybe just before. No, it wouldn't have been just before Skyrim's release because I, I went to college in eleven, two thousand eleven. So um, this may have been after I actually played Skyrim. But I will totally defend this to the day I die, that Skyrim is a technically superior game to Oblivion in every regard. But I actually had more fun and have put more time into Oblivion since not liking it originally. And so for me, I am just hoping, I know it's never going to happen, but I was just begging and pleading internally that Bethesda would do a remaster of Oblivion because I feel like the game's more colorful the, the world's more vibrant. Uh, of course, Skyrim's bigger. There's more to do. But I don't think that's always makes a game better. And so for me, Oblivion, I guess I always hold in higher regard from a personal perspective. And so that's kind of what I've chosen for that question. So I'm not sure. However you guys want to tackle the question, whether it's a game you dominated as a kid but try to go back to and you're not so good at, or a game maybe that you initially played, couldn't get into, later on, you loved. So Pete, take it away. What do, what do you think? Um, one of the first things that came to mind for me was two RPGs, uh, Final Fantasy VII, which when I first played it, I was about 10. And I wasn't playing a lot of RPGs back then. In fact, that was probably one of the first traditional RPGs I had ever played. So like when I got into the battles, I was very confused as to why we're standing still taking turns and there's numbers popping up above me. <laughs> so when I revisited that a few years later, uh, you know, I had a whole new turn of opinion on that once i fully understood the rpg genre once i had discovered it and gotten into it through other games um and also earthbound i remember i played earthbound originally when i played as ness in the smash brothers on 64 and i'm like who the hell is this yeah so i looked up the history on it as did i'm sure everybody in the u.s or any out, anywhere outside of japan and i, I at the time i i uh I play. I tried out Earthbounds. You know, I did actually. That was the one and only game I ever emulated. You know, way back in the day, with I guess it was probably like ZSNES because there was no finding a copy of Earthbounds back then because there was no 
no easy way to get it. Like even on eBay, I think I wasn't even using eBay at the time. So I'm like, all right, let's try this out. I hated it. Like really? it's just, I, I didn't under, cause that was the first RPG I played where the battles were in first person. And I'm like, what's going on with oh, the weird, okay. like, tre- like the weird psychedelic backgrounds and this music is strange. Like I just didn't, I didn't get it. And uh, of course I'd come back to that years later and fully appreciate it for what it was. Very cool. So, uh, Ryan, what about you, man? I, or you can take it again any way you want as far as the question, but uh, how would you answer it? Um, I'd say one game that I was a lot better at as a kid than what I am now would have to be Super Smash Bros. Melee. Um, I think in my top 10, I went on about how Lauren and I were awesome and we um, handicapped ourselves with starting out each life with 130%, going against like modded level 9s. And going back now, there's no way. Like, I struggle sometimes dealing with, like, a level 9, which is kind of pathetic to admit, but, yeah. I don't know where I lost (laughs) that along the route. Probably school or whatnot, but, yeah. I've gone downhill, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Very good. Yeah. Yeah, good questions this week. Uh, You know, again, anyone that wants to write into the show, whether it's either feedback for us specifically or just questions show topics, whatever you want to do, you can always write into the show at otakubrotherspodcast at gmail.com. Always looking for uh, ways to make the show better. So anything you think will, feel free to write in. We really appreciate it. But the next topic that we had tonight is something that I actually can't really speak to. And Ryan, you've been pretty quiet this episode. So hopefully you can be a little bit more vocal with this. And I'm sure- Well, I I, I was expecting you to fangirl over Pete for the entire thing. So I was (laughs) (laughs) letting you have your time alone. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You're (laughs) welcome. Oh man, so so rude. Just calling me out like that. Hey, for for like the last two or three weeks, you've just been like- I don't even know. Like the number of texts I've gotten from you, be like, dude, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if like, you've been if you've been watching Pete for like ten years, you'd probably be the same. You'd be the same. So, oh, it's hilarious though. Yeah, you you've called me like on the way home, like sent me screenshots of like, yeah, he agreed. <laughs> uh, it's Pete, hilarious. Pete, you're very well respected. Let me just say that you're well respected. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm like, how do you spell his last name? <laughs> like, that's a real. Are not we like talking a, about not like a door? not like a typical door, not like a typical yeah. door. But in any case, so the next topic we want to talk about is just MMO addiction, uh, so massive multiplayer online games. And so, yeah. Pete, I know you've definitely had your fair share of of time playing these types of games. And Ryan, you specifically have played two games that I think you can talk about. So. Really, I think what I want to kind of get at here is just like your experiences with them and then the kind of like the importance of supporting your teams and like why why they're so addicting. Like what is the most addicting aspect of it? Whether it might be just grinding for that new piece of armor, the satisfaction of clearing a boss and like just needing to support your teams, your guilds. Like what is it that keeps you coming back to these types of games and why are they so fun? So Pete, you might as well just kick it off and what, what kind of your overall thoughts, maybe your experiences with the MMOs you've played. Well, I mean, there was only really one MMO that I really ever got addicted to, and that was Final Fantasy XI. Um, that was, but it was significant because it was the first ever console MMO, really for its time, like on a PS2. You know, you had to buy the the bundle that came with the network adapter and the hard drive to to hook it up, and like it was just surreal. Well, no, I shouldn't say the first ever console MMO because Fantasy Star and stuff like that would take that, but for the PS2, it was the first MMO. 
available for that console. And it was a huge deal because I, I never really played them on the PC. I didn't really have a PC that can handle MMOs like EverQuest and, and stuff like that. So I was in deep with Final Fantasy XI upgrading from the PS2 to the, the 360. Never, never played the PC version until recently. Um, but I'll get to that in a second. But yeah, it, it was more of like a personal thing for me, though. It, you know, I had a small group of people that I played with, but it was really just the sense of personal growth and acceptance within the community like no one's kidding themselves i'd say 90 percent of people that play an mmo it's because of that sense of gratification you get when you get that new piece of armor or that new weapon and you yeah. have people in the game world that check out your armor like for example in final fantasy 11 there would be times where i'd have to sit there waiting for hours to get an invite to a group to gain experience and level up so i had to make sure that i was properly geared if you got invited to a party or a group in Final Fantasy XI, and you were not well geared, and you were not, you know, pulling your weight in the group, the people would remember, and you'd probably never get invited again. Really? So it was like a it was like a full time job. I'd get home from school, I'd grind for money, I'd buy the 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 gear that I needed, so that way I can do my part in a group and hopefully get invited back because that game was a game was super hardcore. But like just the sense of you doing good damage, and someone's like, "Wow, great." Like, you know, if they complimented your damage and then they check your armor, you're like, damn right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> people are not um, kidding themselves. Like you play MMOs for for those moments, you know, like you work your ass so off. You work your yeah. ass off to get that epic piece of gear and uh, it pays off. And, you know, MMOs have changed over time and I haven't quite been able to get into the newer the newer style. Um, I mean, recently I tried EverQuest for the first time on the PC with a legacy server. And that was really eye-opening. I'll just say one thing. It's probably a really good idea that I never played that <laughs> when I was younger because <laughs> that would have been real dangerous. Uh, and then, like, recently I tried a legacy server for Eleven, where I actually went back to, like, the original era of, of servers that I played on when it first came out. And that was also really dangerous. I had to pull myself away from that because I, I saw the addiction growing again. I'm like, I can't do this to myself right now because I... I'd have to like sacrifice streaming time. And I'm like, yeah, that's just not <laughs> yeah. going to happen. And, and so Pete, you're speaking specifically about when you were recently streaming that game, like in the past month or month or two. Right. Uh, Final Fantasy 11 when I was playing it on the PC. Yeah. And I have to say like, just watching you play that game was, was so enjoyable because you could just tell that you loved it and just how like the little stories would pop up about like certain areas and just certain bosses and things like that. And even the music, like it's almost like therapeutic. Like, it's so calming, and I cannot even imagine being in your shoes back in the day, and this is why, you know, maybe I can just pop in quickly and just talk about why I never played them, is, like, I knew. I knew my mentality. I knew my my behavioral traits. I have an addicting personality or addictive personality. Like, Lord of the Rings Online, I just felt the developers were just, like, rusty. It was, like, <laughs> it was like freaking Sauron was, like, calling to me with the ring. Like he just knew yeah. that this this is what was gonna suck me in. I'm like, I'm freaking Aragorn. Like you're not gonna like taper my mind. I'm not gonna give in. And pff, I'm so fortunate that I never did because man, I'd probably be strung out on Lord of the Rings Online and a completely part of the world right now. I probably wouldn't be married. I probably wouldn't have a podcast right now. I probably wouldn't have a job. Probably never went to college. So, um, <laughs> but uh, but wow. the, the only MMO experience that I do have is with Toontown, which is like a little Disney game that uh, the servers are off now. There's like kind of like an imitation Toontown up now 
Yeah, there was like a big resurgence of that about a year ago. What the hell is up with Toontown? Yeah, so it's actually not the same. They borrow, of course, a lot of the same assets, but it doesn't look identical. The the names of the certain towns, like I don't think the enemies were originally called like cogs. I don't know what they're called now, but but of course Disney, they'd be on that like flies on poo, man, as far as like the licensings and stuff like that. So they take liberties, but they're definitely it's not the same game. And I think there's like a huge um I don't even know. People are trying to essentially get them to pull the servers back up of the original game, but I don't foresee it happening. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a kind of a colossal investment for Disney and what other develop whatever developers were involved, and they probably just don't have the the fan base there uh, to play the game. But there's there's definitely a fan base out there. I'll tell you what it's, it's it's I think it's a cool thing that they've actually got like kind of an imitation uh, Toontown up and running right now. It's kind of kind of neat, but. Uh, that's the only only lake that I ever dip my toes in as far as MMOs go. But uh, back to you guys with that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think my main one was RuneScape back in the day. And it's very much you want to show off that piece of gear, right? So in RuneScape, it was you max out a skill and you get a cape. And there's a hierarchy to these, like each skill, which one's more expensive or which one looks cooler. And the second you get one of those, you start getting compliments, and like in real life, I, I kind of perceive the real life as leveling up. I don't know if that's the correct way of being an adult, but like I try to level up in my adult life um, and having that transformation in like an MMO is so much quicker than like, I don't know, getting a better job or whatever. Um, yeah. I'm curious, Pete, how you stopped like your MMO. He never um, stopped lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just the take thing, a break. I mean, I'll, just using 11 as an example. Yeah, it pretty much just came to the point of you play the game so much that you just hit this like realization one day you get on and you're you're just sitting there for a few hours not able to accomplish anything and you're like, man, I would like to do something else with my life right now and you know, maybe I'll take a few months off from it. And I always used to tell myself like every time I took a break, I'm like, all right, this this will be the last time I won't be back. You know, my breaks would usually last a few months. The longest it ever lasted was like a year on the original version of 11. Um, mm-hmm. And then even after the last time I signed off on that game, uh, I'm like, this is it. Cause the game had changed dramatically. It was just not even the same game anymore. And then of course I'm eating my words because last month I came back to it on PC <laughs> years, years later, but that was because it was unofficial legacy servers. So similar to what they're going to be doing for world of Warcraft, uh, where they're going to, well, this was an unofficial one, so it was actually like kind of slightly illegal to even play it. But yeah. well, we won't go there. Uh, <laughs> it, it threw me back in all these years later. And I'm actually considering, because I never got to experience the vanilla World of Warcraft experience back in the day. Yeah, this is dangerous territory my, for me, too. My, my PC never really could handle it. Uh, so you're considering it, too, Rusty, where it's like, I'm really considering diving into the the legacy, the official legacy server that Blizzard will eventually release for World of Warcraft. I totally I thought am. it was out already. It, that one was unofficial. That was fan run. They actually Blizzard took it down uh, oh, because okay. because they were coming out with an official version. But the okay. cool thing that they did was a lot of the people that were leading that unofficial server they actually recruited as you know to work for them at Blizzard to work on the official server, which oh, was wow. kind of nice. That is neat. So that's um, going to be dangerous because I, I feel like, you know, there's certain games I want to play in my lifetime. And I, I feel like even though this is not the original like day one launch experience, I do want to experience World of Warcraft because I feel like I missed out on a time in gaming that was just 
very important historically for video games because World of Warcraft, as we all know, influenced so many games. And I kind of feel like I need to, to see what that was all about. A hundred percent. I mean, like for me, Ryan and I, I think talked about it in a previous episode, like if I could go back in time, like I Vanilla well, WoW came out in like, I don't know, 2004, two, I don't even know what, 2003, I don't even know the year it came out, but it was like early 2000s. And that was a time in my life where I was like in middle school. Like I didn't have any significant responsibilities or obligations. I didn't have a job yet. So like I'd be okay with my life going down the gutter for like a year and a half, two years or something (laughs) like that. Like, I don't know, man. And, but now I just feel like I'll let Pete dip his toes in first, you know, like I'll see how, how it kind of (laughs) changes him and how he reacts to it. And maybe I'll kind of like life of black tiger. I'll let him play first. And then maybe if he's enjoying it on Twitch, I might, I might hop in. You never know. Well, my, my view on this is, and I've had this stance ever since the days of like Xbox live when that first became a thing, like the arcade games, my view is I will sometimes buy a game day one, knowing that it's going to be, you know, this is going off tangent a little bit from MMOs, but it still kind of ties into MMOs. Of course. If a game comes out and it's full price, and I know that game is going to be cheap in no time, one thing that I always consider before that is, does it have online multiplayer? Okay, it does. Because I know that an obscure game or any game, a lot of games in particular, the online will be dead in weeks, months, however long it'll take. So sometimes yeah. I feel like I want to get in on that experience while it's irrelevant. Yeah. So I'll yeah, buy a game just yeah. to play it for online. Like Battlefront 2, the new one, um, there's a lot of hype behind it. And granted, it wasn't what we all wanted as a community. Um, but like date, the launch date, online servers were a lot of fun. And that community's kind of decreased rapidly since. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I think you know a lot of that has to do with, like you were saying, Ryan, just it wasn't the game people expected. Talk about leading up to the hype and not even coming close to the bar of where our expectations were with that. Um, you know, people, there was just so much negativity surrounding um, EA. Was it EA at the time? Yeah, uh, yeah. With, with all the microtransactions. It's just such a shame. But um, kind of, you know, to your, to your point, Pete, I mean, it's like I played Uncharted 2 years after that game came out. But I wish I would have gotten the game and had a PS3 at the time because I just remember people like Steph's Too Deaf and, and Storm Cloud Reigns and all those people. There was a, such a, a robust community surrounding that game's multiplayer back in the day that I'm, I'm sure it's dead by now. It's got to be dead by now, you know? I mean, there's Uncharted 4, you know, is the, the newest Uncharted. So that, that online community is probably alive and thriving, or at least alive. Um, so yeah, I mean, because a game like Neo, I haven't bought it yet, but it's like, why would I buy that game day one when it's already $20, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Because to my point, or to my knowledge, there's no online component. And even if there is, it's probably not in any way, um, you know. Well, one of the best examples I can think of is the original release of Demon Souls on the PS3. Mm, okay. Because yeah. playing that game on day one was so unique because nobody knew what to expect. You know, with the mess, like it was just so unique. The, the invasion system... Uh, yeah, the messages on the grounds like playing that day one was one of the most unique and memorable experiences that I've ever had with a video game. And I I just can't fathom what it's like trying to get into that series now, because either the servers are dead or like literally dead in the case of Demon Souls, because I think they finally took that offline permanently um, and you can't have that anymore. Or, or people are so advanced and far beyond that you can't even keep up, which is another reason why I'm so adamant about playing certain games on day run release because I don't like the feeling of feeling like I'm far behind. Yeah, no, that makes <laughs> sense. 
And yeah, like you said, the Souls games are are certainly evident of that. And I'm actually playing Dark Souls 2 now. I didn't really mention it because I'm I'm very early on in the game. And it, it's nice in the sense that there's messages just splattered everywhere. But I also like feel like at a disadvantage because not as many people are playing that game now. Um, even though it is the PS4 version, it's not like the game came out three months ago or two months ago. You know, it's it's been out for, I don't even know, two years now. So, um, yeah, it's definitely an interesting concept. I don't, really, I don't know how we got, I guess, MMO WoW, playing Vanilla well, WoW. I mean, going back to sort of like the MMO thing, uh, I mean, you gave me a heads up that Ryan is really into a certain Star Wars game on mobile, which yep. I can completely... Uh, relate yeah. to because I played a very similar game. Well, not only did I play Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes, uh, but I played it after the fact that I got into another. I don't know what the genre is that you would call them, but it's a very specific genre on mobile where it's sort of like you just recruit characters and you just battle other groups of characters. Like I don't know what. I yeah, I have no idea. What would you call that? I don't know. I don't know how the genre. Yeah. It's, uh, it's turn-based something. I don't. I don't know if it has a name even. People know what we're talking about. If <laughs> I was say, people know what we're talking about, if they know what we're talking about, but that it's yeah. a certain genre on mobile that's very popular, where it's just like recruit characters, level them up, battle other characters, battle other people's characters, get better gear, level up their skills. Like it's very rudimentary. But I actually got roped in. I don't know. Maybe you've heard of this game, Ryan, called Dragon Soul on mobile. No, uh, I've seen it. Yeah. I know they have a Marvel one that is very similar to this as well. Yeah, there's there's a lot of games in this genre, but my the game that roped me in originally was one called Dragon Soul. And I remember, you never thought it would work, but I remember first seeing the game on a mobile ad. It's like, you know how they always show you those mobile ads yeah. on mobile games? It's like, play this game, and 10 seconds, the ad's done. But I saw the graphics, and I'm like, holy crap, the animation in this actually looks amazing. I'm like, let me give this a try. Oh my God, was that dangerous? Uh, <laughs> you know, Because these games, they... They make you play like every hour, every two hours if you want to optimize like your playtime. So yeah. I, was, I was playing this game all throughout the day, setting alarms, waking up in the morning. <laughs> uh, but then it gets to the point where like I know my addictive personality and I was starting to put money into the game. And then you get advantages with these chests where it's like, oh, you unlocked a new character or, oh, you leveled them up because the higher your star rating, the more powerful they are. So yeah. like I started dumping a lot of money into that game more than a it's like a slippery slope. Yeah. Because it yeah. like the amount of time that you have to put into these games in order to like stand a chance at leveling up your characters the normal way. It's like, why wouldn't I spend five dollars to level up X amount of times instead of grinding for five hours? You know, it's like and then five is like, oh, why not twenty dollars? And then you do that too often per week. And oh, what's this random limited edition chest you're trying to sell me right now? Sure, <laughs> I'll buy that for fifty dollars. It's like, I, oh boy, I definitely get this character in that chest. Nice. All right. It's not a. Oh my gosh. And they keep releasing new content, so it's like you don't want to feel too far behind because what's one of the mechanics in these games? Oh, there's a guild. Oh, you want to be one of the better members in your guild? Okay, yeah, I have to keep up and stay relevant because that's how I felt in in Dragon Soul. Uh, I was like one of the guild captains or something. I was making video tutorials for new guild mates, you know. So I, I was like, I got to keep up. I got to stay relevant. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was dangerous. I, I got myself out of that game and um, I started playing Galaxy of Heroes. And luckily, I, I think I only put like twenty dollars into it to unlock Greedo because that's my favorite Star Wars character. Yeah, but Galaxy of Heroes, like you. You used to be able to get by without 
spending money. I'm not sure it's the same anymore. I recently went back to it and they've added a whole slew of new stuff. So are you still playing that, Ryan? Galaxy? No, I quit about two months ago. Um, it, it started interfering quit with in work. quotations. Yeah, let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> I asked, so I asked Ryan, I'm like, so by quit, you mean you downloaded the application off of your phone? Well, well, no, Rusty, I, I didn't do that. I mean, I, I quit playing, but it's, it's still there. Calling no, it's still me. on my phone. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it calls for me each morning. Um, but no, it's sort of interfering because they added a bunch of like guild raids and things to the point where I was doing multiple raids per day. And there's a lot of discord and communication that has to go on per these raids. Mm. Um, so I'd like, yeah, I would have to spend like time in the morning and then time like at lunch or and then like after work, it, it just became such a time sink that I couldn't keep up. Um but I have a very like let's complete the Pokedex personality as well, along with oh, the yeah. And there's so many characters in that so game. So many there. characters. Like I got to the point where I had every character, except for like the one guild one. And I'm like, I can, I'm gonna check the box, say completed this game, and like <laughs> move on because there's no way to actually. Well, and especially with with Star Wars movies coming out like every three months now. I mean, it's like yeah. there's gonna be new events, new character unlocks. I'm sure with the Solo movie, there was a whole slew of new characters that came with that. Yeah. Um, and you know, Ryan, you got me playing that actually, I think it was last summer I started playing and I played it for a good 10 months and I enjoyed the heck out of that game, you know, because you, you know, the satisfaction of unlocking these characters and like, oh, I can get Darth Nihilus. That's amazing. You know, like someone that isn't explored in the movies, but in the, the KOTOR games and things like that, getting people to, to five star to seven star to, but yeah, like you guys were saying, I mean, and hopefully no one that I work with l- listens to this podcast, but if they do, I, I, you'll, you'll forgive me eventually. I was <laughs> looking forward to the times when I'd have to go take a bathroom break and just sit on the toilet stall for like five minutes, just simming to get my experience points or whatever. So I could keep farming for, for resources to unlock Lando or unlock Boba Fett. And it was just like, like you're saying, I mean, you have you have to sign into this game almost every three hours or else you're at a disadvantage to everyone. Yeah. I mean, because the energy refreshes, so you don't want to maximize, like, have it max out to the point where you're, like, you're not at the max potential. Yeah. Like, you're losing efficiency. Because if hurts. you don't use it, then <laughs> the next refresh is essentially irrelevant to you. Yeah, you're refresh. Yeah. So you're refreshing what you could have already gotten previously by just using your energy a couple hours ago. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, dangerous territory with those games. And you know, it's funny because somehow my phone knows that I like Disney because every time I'm scrolling through Instagram or even Facebook, I get this notification that there's this new battle game similar to star Wars galaxy of heroes called like Disney battle mode or something like that. It's the same premise. (laughs) You can unlock Disney characters. Oh yeah. Oh Yeah. (laughs) You Wait, can, so you battle Disney characters against other Disney characters? Yeah. Hey, you, what's it called? I'm going to download it right now. I'm not <laughs> sure. Just look it up. It's like, <laughs> it's like Disney. I mean, it's the same concept. It's like Disney Battle Heroes or something like that. And um, you can unlock uh, villains. You can unlock old school characters. You know, some of the newer stuff like Pirates of the Caribbean, Monsters, Inc. People, Incredibles stuff. And and I'm sure it's very similar with as much as Disney movies are coming out these days. I'm sure there's different, you know, events to showcase some of the newest characters or upgrades or whatever and i'm sure my wallet's gonna hate me in about a month after ryan downloads it and pressures me to get it yeah. so um, disney heroes battle mode is what it's called yeah there you go 
Oh, Buzz Lightyear's in it. That's cool. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I'm sure all Disney and Pixar characters that you can think of are in yeah. it. And it's probably the same concept. You have to sign in every two and a half to three hours. And yeah, that gets dangerous. It really does. I mean, I love my Disney games, but that's just that's just too dangerous of territory for Rusty. But here, here's the thing to help convince you guys to not get into these. I mean, with the exception of games like Galaxy of Heroes, which will be around for a long time, I've been burned so many times in mobile games where I invest yeah. a lot of money into it, like a mobile like card game or something, and then the servers go down, and then that's it. Game is dead. Like, you can't even log in anymore, so all the money you've invested. Like, I have no shame in saying that there was a Hearthstone clone for Kung Fu Panda. I've never even watched kung fu panda movie before but <laughs> i i really enjoyed the game and the mechanics and i put a couple hundred dollars into that game because i was really <laughs> really into it you can't even log into that game anymore it was just a cash grab to promote the new movie and i totally fell for that trap wow uh, so that's, that's I, a shame. I always remind myself yeah i mean i probably the deepest hole i ever got myself in i know where we're going with this well not <laughs> i'm not even gonna get in the pokemon trading card oh, okay game. that's just <laughs> That's that's that game has changed. Like I'm talking old school version where I had to buy the 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 code cards that people get in packs for like yeah. the beta. Yeah. Yeah. I spent a lot of money on that. But um I got into collecting digital cards for Star Wars trading card collector or trading card game on mobile. Now we're not talking like games that you play against people, just collecting digital cards. Oh really? So if you're unaware of this, Tops has mobile apps where you open oh, up virtual gosh. packs of cards and you get virtual trading card. That's that's so <laughs> dangerous. Yeah, like at first you're like, wait a minute, this is a thing. People actually collect virtual trading cards. It's totally a thing. Uh, it used to be tons <laughs> of fun. It used to be tons of fun with the Star Wars one though because you, you used to be able to play it for free. They would give you a lot of points daily for logging in and uh, you can definitely collect a full set without ever spending a penny, but then they started getting more and more greedy. But there was a time where I was spending points to to buy these packs of cards just because the thrill of the hunts and I think the trading aspect, like being able to trade with other players and try and get the better value to put together a full set of chase cards was like super fun. But that just shows you like the dangers of of mobile gaming and the microtransactions these days. It's uh, there's some really addictive stuff out there that you may not know it yet, but. Like, let's not even get started. I don't know if you ever told Ryan about Tereba, Rusty, or maybe you weren't even around for those streams. I don't think uh, so. So Tereba, Tereba? Oh, boy. Get ready for this one. Oh, boy. Strap <laughs> oh, in, no. folks. You, you may just want to... Some listeners, if you have an addictive person, like tendency out there, just step away for a few minutes. We'll timestamp it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this, this one this. this one is... I'm not even joking. Like, seriously, if you have a gambling addiction... Do not look up what Tereba is. Just oh, no. Oh, wow. Oh, wait. Uh, I think I might know, but go yeah. ahead, Pete. So it's a website where you can play Japanese crane games yes. online yep. remotely using a webcam and a controller. So if you play and win a prize, they will ship it to you free of charge. However, obviously, you're paying for the credits to play. And of course, virtual money you know, you spend uh, $50 to get 50,000 points. And, oh, what's this? It only costs 1,500, 2,000 points per play. Well, that adds up real fast in a crane <laughs> game. So you also get roped into that mentality of, oh, I've already dumped $20 into this plush that I don't need. What's $10 more? Because the person that's in line waiting right now is totally going to get it in their first try. So, oh, man, I did some streams of that. It was actually one of my longest streams ever where I streamed this crane game for like 10 hours straight. Wow. 
And uh, it was a lot of fun. But man, we watched some people sit there trying to win a plush that you can probably buy online for like $20 or $30. They probably dumped $100 in and didn't win it. Oh, my gosh. So they were out $100 for nothing. Wow. Uh, and, you know, I felt I felt the addiction growing because it, it is really fun. It is definitely a form of gambling, which is why I really warn people that are, you know, have gambling addictions to, to do yourself a favor. Do not, for the love of God. <laughs> seriously, it's not a joke. Like the Reddit has people that seriously are like reaching out for help. They're like, how did you quit? How do I quit? I can't stop. Oh, oh my wow. gosh, that's yeah, crazy. It's, it's bad. Yeah. So because it's 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 it is addicting. It's like because okay, here's how they roped me in. They saw me coming from a mile away. <laughs> the first the first time I downloaded the app. A Kalanoa plush is just sitting that, there at the dispenser for you or something. Close enough. They had a, a fat chocobo Christmas plush from Final Fantasy. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> now my free token, the, the plush is worth about sixty, seventy dollars. My free try, like they give you one free try for signing up or something. My first try, I get it. Oh my gosh. Oh. <laughs> wow. You know, people will sit there and they'll spend a lot of money trying to win these things. So I just got super lucky and I was like, oh my God, maybe this isn't as hard as I thought. <laughs> oh no. And yeah, and then I decided to stream it and yeah, it just yeah. Got, a, got a little ridiculous. <laughs> people are like, why don't you stream Tereba more? I'm like, listen. <laughs> I know my limits. I can't. I can't do this. I'm not going to eat next week because I did stream it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. So give it a look. It is definitely really fun to watch people play. Like even if you don't plan on playing, you can you can log in, log into the app and watch other people waste their money trying to win stuff they don't need. Vicariously live through them. Yeah. Or you can if you're no. Here's another thing though. If you're really good at like resisting the urge. Uh, right now, they have a promotion every day. You get one free play. So if you're really strategic, you can you can snipe. Like what I do is when I used to play is I would jump around from machine to machine and only play on something that looked like it was like one or two plays from winning. Uh, and I've won some pretty awesome stuff doing it that way. Like one time I caught they were, there was a machine that was probably broken with Final Fantasy blankets. Um, and because I noticed one person won it in a single try and I'm like, wait a minute, that looked way too easy. So I sat there for like an hour or two sniping these Final Fantasy blankets for like an hour straight until I cleaned out the machine, uh, <laughs> oh, winning wow. them for about two to four dollars per try. That's amazing. Yeah. So now I have a bunch of Final Fantasy towels that I'm just sitting on probably just <laughs> <laughs> probably going to sell them off eventually. To you should. You could probably yeah make a nice profit on those, which is what a lot of people do is yeah. they. If they find something that's easy to win, they sell off extras to, to get money back. So, very cool. <laughs> so my apologies to those of you that are now checking this out. Yeah, I'm, I probably will later tonight. I mean, especially if you get like a free shot every day. I mean, why the hell? Oh not? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next week you're gonna hear Rusty talking about all the the figures and plushes he's won. Ryan, help me. <laughs> <laughs> Just come crawling to my door. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell Lauren. She'll kill me. <laughs> Just like the music really ropes you in too because they use like this super poppy, happy, go lucky, like arcade music. And you're like, oh my God, this is just, it's fun. Uh, Believe me, it's, it's really fun if you can not go. Away. Yeah. Not, <laughs> if, if you can manage your addiction tendencies, like it's really fun, but man. Um, I apologize for those of you that are going to be dumping money into this. <laughs> oh my god! No, it looks like you, no. I'm taking a look at the just the imagery of like the actual game itself, 
and it looks like it'd be a lot of fun to play. It is. It's very strategic. Like it really is like a video game. You can play it on the app or the web browser. I'd recommend the app. It seems to work better. Um, but it's it's just the the thing that's so addicting is the strategy of everything. Like trying to get your angles right and i don't know because japanese crane games are way different than u.s crane games they actually require precision and skill it's not just like drop the crane and hope for the best it's pretty much like you have to play a game essentially wow yeah i'll definitely check it out my best advice for those of you that do check it out like rusty if you see something you want just sit there and camp it and watch how other people play see what they do um you'll be able to get the strategies down or see if it's like impossible to win or easy to win. Uh, do not just go headlong in and be like, oh, this looks cool. Let me try and win this because you're not going to win it. You got to gotta watch and build up the skills. Be smart about it. Yeah. All right, take notes, people. Take notes. And definitely write into the show if you end up winning anything. That'd be interesting to hear people's experiences playing the game. <laughs> or just them like ranting about pete like promoting this game how they, dare they have to sell he? their house to pay for... <laughs> yeah. i lost my car <laughs> oh if you can like put stuff up on collateral that'd make it real dangerous yes. <laughs> um Get wow repoed and stuff yeah so where were we sorry about that, that was i don't even know I think, I think we were talking about mmo addictions and then we were talking yeah. about M- uh, just addictions in general <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, gosh. If you want anyone wants to empty any of their dirty laundry about other addictions that they have, feel free to, uh, you know, talk, <laughs> yeah. talk now. Forever hold your peace. But um, no, so we kind of got into a little bit uh, that collecting mentality earlier. And I think one of the other kind of things we wanted to talk about while you had you on the show, Pete, is just game collecting and kind of the state of it. You know, I know certainly back in the early to mid 2000s and even when you started on YouTube, things were eBay was a completely different scene than what it is now and you know i went back like two weeks ago and i was watching some of your older videos um because there just weren't any podcasts in my current feed to to listen to while i was playing some games and one of the videos that i came across uh similar to your xbox and ps2 uh videos that brought in a lot of your viewers was the um so you want to get into rpgs type videos so basically you were kind of showcasing a number of different rpgs uh for a number of different systems, and one of them that you talked about was was Earthbound for the Super Nintendo. You kind of talked about it earlier in the show, and you <laughs> warned listeners, this is like back in like 2009, 2010, do not buy this game unless you're paying less than $50 for the cart. And oh bef- my God. Before getting on the show, I went on eBay and was looking at completed listings, and you're not going to find any copies for like less than 150 bucks. Like it's insane just to get the cart. No box, no scratch, stiff stickers, no manuals, nothing. Um, and so I guess, you know, maybe kicking it off to you, what are some of your best practices? How have you seen things change? If you have like examples and then kind of like the sites you use, of course, eBay being one and um, maybe even we can get into some of the best systems to collect for nowadays, the most affordable and uh, still get some good games for. These days, it's uh, it's really scary because... A lot of, you know, YouTube really drives the prices of games. I don't care what people say, you know, high profile YouTube channels that put out a video highlighting a game or series of games, the prices on those games go up. They do come down a little bit over time, but the overall price will go up because more people are aware of it. So these days, if you see a game, no matter what system it's on, and if it seems affordable to you, like it fits in your budget and you think it looks cool, especially if it's exclusive to that console, you probably should just straight up buy it now because the prices on games, no matter what, they just they're steadily steadily going up. 
And all it takes is for one YouTube video, and then that game is just going to skyrocket. An example would be um, last year at a convention, I bought a game on PS2 called Ghost Hunter. I paid $15 for it. And then now this this game, because it was featured in a certain Hidden Gems video on YouTube, <laughs> is now no less than like $70. Oh my wow. gosh. Just in the matter of overnight, $15 game, now $70. So my new rule of thumb is, if I ever see a game that I think looks fun, and it's pretty, you know, more cheap looking than it probably should be based on just the gameplay and how it looks, or the publisher, developer, I just buy that game right now, even if I don't have plans on buying it any or playing it anytime soon, simply because of the gamble that is the video game market these days. Um, like, I. It's hard because it's hard for me to comment on it because a lot of the games from my collection I bought so long ago for such a cheap price and now they're like astronomical. You know, a lot of people will be like, oh, do you own such and such? I'll say yes. And uh, they'll say, what do you think of the price or whatever? And like I some of my games in my collection, I, I have no idea what they even go for because I haven't checked in a while. But there will be games in my collection where I paid like $50 and suddenly the game is almost $400. And I'm like, what? And I don't wow. even know it until I check. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. So the, the best advice I can give, if you obviously, I'm sure most people can't afford to be spending hundreds of dollars per game, is you got to pick consoles that have a very large library of affordable games. Like the PS1, for example, is probably one of the best examples. Um, tons of a really fun, amazing games, a lot of exclusives uh, that are like $10 or under, $15 or under. Sure, you're going to have the expensive games like the RPGs, but if you're not an, if you're an RPG fan in general, I feel sorry for you. Yeah, uh, for real. Good luck. Like if you're looking to get into collecting games, good good luck. Uh, <laughs> probably the best console to do that on is like PS2. Maybe would have probably the most generally affordable RPGs, but uh, yeah, anything else? <laughs> that's all I can say. No, it's a good point, and you know I want people to be mindful too because you know I got caught in a. Um, you know, with a problem where, you know, back in the early days of YouTube, when I was watching people's videos, people would showcase games. And I think there was this mentality, especially for young people like myself at the time, where in your videos, Pete, for like games I've bought recently, you know, that was very widespread in the community. People were making those videos and people, at least for me, when I was making videos, almost felt obligated to make these videos about the games that we bought recently. So people would go to stores and just mindlessly buy games whether they liked him or not. Oh, Atlas is on the front. I'll buy it, whatever. Or, you know, it's an RPG. I don't care what it's about. I don't care the reviews. I'm just going to buy it. And so I want to warn people, like, don't just buy games to buy games. Definitely buy games that you're interested in. Like, for me, example, over the past five years, I have completely gotten rid of, like, probably 60% of my collection. And now I'm focusing on systems and game genres that I love. I mean, Pete, I don't know if you zoomed in on any of the games that I showed when I did that gaming nook, but most of them were like Disney movie-based platformers. I have the Harry Potter games, all of the Lord of the Rings games. I have Cartoon Network Racing. My PS1 collection is almost exclusively like platformers. I don't really have any of the RPGs because for me personally, I don't mind downloading Final Fantasy 7 through 9 on my Vita and playing them uh, remotely like that and not having the physical copy. I understand the luxury and the desire to have that physical piece of media. I get that. Trust me. Like... I recently bought a number of vinyls um, from my from classic N64 games that I love because I want that 
in my hands and being able to place the record in my record player and hear the crispness of those those sounds. But I would just encourage you guys to find a console that is of interest to you, whether it be from your youth or else or, or for otherwise. Like for me, the PlayStation 1 and 2 and the Game Boy, Game Boy Color are the main systems that I collect for. One, because I grew up playing those in the N64. You know, I grew up playing those systems. There are a number of games, hundreds of games, especially on the PS1 and 2, that I've never even heard of. You know, Pete, those videos that you had were dangerous in a sense, but they were also, um, they were good because they showcased games that I never would have otherwise known about, you know? And so the PS2 and 1 are both, like Pete said, unless you're getting the RPG realm, very affordable. You can get, I mean... Lauren, hopefully you're not listening, but in the past three months, you know, I probably bought two dozen PS2 and PS1 games, and very, very rarely did I pay more than $10 for any of them. And I got a lot of great games that I'm going to have a blast playing. I know I will. And so it can be a dangerous hobby, but as long as you're mindful and smart about it and don't just buy games for the heck of buying them, I think you can actually have a lot of fun collecting. It could be a still a fun hobby, even in an age now when it can also be dangerous. So, I mean, you got to have the mentality to be able to go back to some of these games. Like if you enjoy playing them, absolutely. Like for me, my guilty pleasure right now is Game Boy Color collecting complete in box because I feel like there's a lot of uncharted territory in that library of games, just like really obscure little decent games, like nothing that's going to blow your mind, but for 10 to $20 per pop complete in the box, um, you know, if you buy them cart only, even better because then you're going to save a lot more money. Yeah, and I just like having I like having the original packaging for them. Um, you know, I, I've found some real gems on the Game Boy Color over the past couple of years that I've been really collecting for it. And you know, a lifelong goal of mine is to eventually have a complete Game Boy Color collection because I kind of like, you know, while while I do game first, could probably collect second these days. You know, I still have that collector mentality, and I like the challenge of hunting down games that maybe only show up complete inbox once a year twice a year on ebay uh, i enjoy the thrill of the hunts um you know even if i have to buy some games that are not good games by any means yeah. so you know you, you just got to find your niche find that system that calls out to you whether that's a handheld whether that's the ps1 heck maybe you want to go super obscure and go for like i don't know the 3do just don't collect long box just go for the jewel case only um you know, go for Game Boy cards, carts, original Game Boy carts. That actually, that's one of the best systems you can collect for right now. Original Game Boy, loose cart, so many dirt cheap games you can get for that thing. Oh yeah, yeah. It's funny. So I think everyone can kind of relate that. There's very few Game Stops in our proximity, wherever you live. Most of them are Game Stops. And so today, Ryan, not to, you know, this will probably be dangerous territory for you, but you know, I was pet sitting for my mom this weekend because she was out of town and uh, she lives not three minutes away from you and there's a, a game store over there that is complete retro i mean of course they have some new new stuff like xbox one and um ps4 um but i went in there and they have an entire wall dedicated to ps2 and ps1 and then they had two gargantuan bins just stacked to the brim with game boy color they had a game boy and game boy color bin and then an entire bin full of game boy advance games I spent 20 minutes going through each of the bins and just sifting through all the different carts. And I ended up getting like five games, didn't pay more than $2 for each of the carts. And so what are you doing tomorrow night? <laughs> <laughs> no, because 
Because I was thinking about it. I'm like, for any system that I would want to do, probably Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance would be the systems. That or I would PSP. I mean, PSP is a great system for you to collect for as well. Um, especially you having a, a fondness and kind of almost a nostalgic love for some of those games. They had an entire, you know, bookshelf essentially of PSP games. And I, again, depending on the, the, the genres that you're going to get into, I mean, you can get a lot of great games for, again, less than $10 on that system too. Um, but I think for you, yeah, Game Boy Advance, Game Boy Color, PSP, and again, like even if you get a PS2, like there's just so many great games, and especially Ryan, because Pete not doesn't know this, but you didn't grow up with a PS2, so you, no. I mean, you, the only games that you've really played are games that have been remastered, like the Kingdom Hearts games. Um, so I think just, and again, it's not dangerous territory if you buy. <laughs> <laughs> If yeah, you, all right. If you, I'm just saying, you know, if you're you're a smart guy and you're also very frugal, okay. And so, yeah. you buy a PS2 game a month, you can get a great game for five bucks. You know, you're not breaking the bank there. Um, so yeah, I love to go to this store with you and just kind of like sift through certain games and kind of be your guide to like, you know, which games you should and shouldn't get because there's just so much of the industry that you haven't or I guess gaming history that you haven't experienced that would just be very rewarding for you. There's so much more than just what's out there in the PS4 and the Xbox one, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so no, I'd to, be game to go to that for sure. But yeah, to my point, I mean, I got all these games and they have some of them, the more rare and I guess exclusive games that people might be looking out for. But, um, you know, I bought Spider-Man two, uh, what is it? Um, enter electro on the PS one. And it was, it was $15, which isn't in any way a steal, but, it's going anywhere from fifteen to twenty five dollars on on eBay, so I felt I felt pretty good to get about getting a a black label copy. It, it's essentially m- near mint. I mean, it doesn't look like it's ever been played. So um, it's a great little store. They have um, I think multiple times per week they have different gaming nights. So they have like eight TVs um, where they'll either have Smash tournaments or they have like Atari tournaments where, or not tournaments, but they'll have Atari nights where they just get like. A, all the different Atari systems up, plugged up into these TVs, and they'll just have games there that you can play for free. You don't have to buy in or anything. It's just, it's a really neat store. And I told these guys when I was buying these games, I was like, it's a lost art these days because I would do anything to be able to go back in time when N- or when GameStop uh, or Funkoland, whatever it might have been at the time, EB Games, when they were just discounting their N64, their PS1, their, heaven forbid, N-Gage games. Because there was a time where they were just giving those games away, you know? And mm-hmm. it's just so nice to be able to go into this store and have buckets of Game Boy Color, Game Boy games, and walls of PS2 games. Because you just don't see that anymore. And it's, just, it's a shame. It really is. It's one of the main reasons I made the decision to collect loose only for original Game Boy. Uh, not there for Game Boy Advance or Color. I just I prefer those in the box. But just the feeling of being able to dig through those bins of like a sea of games and just like sifting through them the sounds it makes and i don't know it's like an auditory thing that i really like about it i was yeah. very je- jealous of watching other people do it so i'm like you know what loose only for game boy because buying complete <laughs> for game boy is just out of this world yeah um, it's just do you know ridiculous. how many games there are? for original oh. game boy geez there's got to be something like six or seven hundred i think yeah at least wow yeah, wow that's a lot i mean pretty much any movie that came out in the late 80s to to like mid 90s there was a game boy game adaptation of that movie i mean like so that alone i mean it's like 
probably 15% of the library. And then like you got your sports games, just platformers for days, puzzle games. I mean, even some really great RPGs that you can get on the system too. It's yeah. Game boy, all really all versions of the game boy color in advance. You can just get a lot of excellent games for those systems, which is what makes it so fun because if you're not completely familiar with the library and you don't know what you're looking for, when you're digging through those bins for, you know, one, the $5 per game, and you just pull out something and you're like, wow, they made a game about this movie. Sure, I'll buy that for $2. Yeah. Which is what makes it so fun. Yeah. Everything's gold at that point. It really yeah. is. It really is. Um, and to be honest, like when I'm in these stores, it was funny because I'm sitting there literally on the floor with these two bins just digging through these games. And this like this kid comes in. He must have been no older than like 16, 17. He's like, you got any Xbox One controllers? And he's like, uh, no, we don't have any of those in stock. And he just walked out. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm going to sit here and continue sitting through my Game Boy games. <laughs> you play your Xbox One. <laughs> so, Pete, do you differentiate between Game Boy and Game Boy Color when you're setting up your collections? Or are you just doing Game Boy? Uh, because I'm lazy right now, everything is mixed together on the show. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm not a very organized person when it comes to organizing my games. So my, I have three shelves dedicated to Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, um, I pretty much sold off all my original Game Boy stuff in the boxes because I went cart only for that. So that's in its own separate thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just have them just randomly thrown together on the shelf. But once I eventually become not lazy and decide to categorize it, I will separate like color from advance. And if I were to have Game Boy, original Game Boy, I'd separate that as well. Um, like I do while Game Boy and Game Boy Color, it's it's weird, right? Because they kind of meld together. There were some Game Boy Color games that could be played on an original Game Boy or a Game Boy Color. So mm-hmm. it's there's a lot of these titles that kind of walk the fine line of they can kind of fit on both. Yeah. So I don't blame anybody for being like grouping those two systems into the same kind of category at all. Because Pete, those black cartridges that are shaped, they still have that little crevice in the top left corner. Those are actually Game Boy Color games, right? Even yeah, though they're, so they're shaped like Game Boy games. Anytime you see a Game Boy Color game in a black cart, uh, typically, I'm not 100% on this, but typically those ones are sort of like enhanced Game Boy games that could be played on either system. Typically, anytime you see a Game Boy Color game that's in the clear cart, those are Game Boy Color exclusive. Which are just beautiful. I love those. And I'm so jealous, Pete, of your Game Boy Color inbox collection because I just love the shiny finish on the side of some of those games. It's just very visually oh, very visually appealing. I'm a big so, fan of gloss yeah. and shiny. Uh, w- but one of the reasons why I hate collecting loose Game Boy Color is because of the 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 clear carts have like a bulge. Yep, at the top in the lip, and you can't like neatly stack them together. And then they also don't go alongside the black cart ones. Yep. So it's like this weird mishmash. So that's that's one of the main reasons why I didn't go loose only. That makes sense. That makes sense for sure. I'm very picky when it comes to uniformity in my collection. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes sense. I mean, it's similar to like, I remember watching another video of yours when you were like doing mystery unboxings. And it's like, so recently one of my friends, him and his wife had a baby and he's just getting into Studio Ghibli movies. And so he didn't have any of them. Well, they recently came out with kind of like, they have the slip cover and there's like, it's it's very odd to describe on a podcast, but they have these slip covers and they're all like one uniform size. But some of the earlier Blu-rays and DVDs, of course, are larger. And so I gave him essentially like most of my collection of Studio Ghibli movies and was like, free of charge, dude. Just you need these movies. You need to educate your your new child in the ways of great animation. And you take these and 
those actually are very inexpensive these days. The Studio Ghibli movies, you can get most of them from like twelve to fifteen dollars. And yeah, I start- they used to be hard to to yeah. track down for a good price, which is weird. But yeah, so. I'm kind of rebuilding my collection of those because I want them to look uniform on the shelf, you know, with the same size. It just, otherwise it just looks bizarre. It's the same way with like, I don't mind like greatest hits, but like, I also don't want a random red case in the middle of all my black labels. You know, it's just, I guess it's this kind of this OCD mentality of collecting that you just, you want things to be a a uniform and specific way and (laughs) to have it any way else. It just, it just doesn't work. So that's the main thing behind people not wanting greatest hits. It just looks awful. <laughs> Which is interesting, not to go off topic, that Sony recently announced their new line of greatest hits games. I don't know if you guys and saw that. And they couldn't that. look any more disgusting. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. I mean, <laughs> it's it's similar to the PS... I mean, I think the best way that they ever did it was the PS2 era because it was just kind of the, the, top, air, or the top area of the label... But then the PS3 cases, there were some of them that were literally all red. Like the entire case was red. Because I had a copy of like Ratchet and Clank, A Crack in Time or something like that. And it's like, why, why is this entire case red? That just, that just is awful. Um, yeah. I guess why not just be like, hey, we're just going to mark the price of this game down to $20 and keep the normal cases. That would maybe be the put most- a little maybe slap a little sticker on the box. Like actually one of my favorite times was N64 because even if you had a player's choice game or whatever they used to call them, it didn't clutter up like the spine of the game. There they was just still a ribbon. On the shelf. Wasn't there just, just like a, a ribbon? ribbon? Yeah. I mean, they, they changed the color on the, the box a little bit um, like on the front, but the spines all look fine. Yeah. I just, I, the, they have to know, right? Like, I mean, that's just doesn't make sense. I mean, I'm sure there were public complaints back in the day and they just continue to just i don't know i guess the great majority of the public i guess isn't as picky as we are which is probably why they do it but it's still frustrating nonetheless but um yeah i don't know i mean i guess pete is there any other tips and tricks that you give to people especially like maybe ebay specifically like i know you were just recently talking about now you're getting chrome alerts on the on your desktop computer that's that's kind of scary territory but um Are there any eBay hints that you would suggest for people that are getting into the hobby, whether it be setting things on your watch list or, you know, you know, buy it now versus auction? Like, what would you say to that type of stuff? Um, I mean, if you're looking for the deals, auction is probably your best bet because some people just bid in like really, really low. So if you have the patience for auctions, that's probably best. Um, The best tip for buy it now is just to search by newly listed buy it now only. And then just keep checking it throughout the day, refresh it. Like if you search for CIB or complete or lot or some of my favorite searches, and then you just only filter by items that were just recently listed and buy it now, you can catch some some really good deals on there. It's probably the best tip, especially if you're just getting in the collecting and trying to build your collection. Yeah. Is to search in the lots and the bundles, because then what you can do is find a lot that has several games that you are interested in and then the ones that you're not use that as trade bait or resell it to try and make some of the money back because typically lots will be priced lower than if you had bought everything individually so if you can find a game in there that you don't care about you know and uh be able to resell it for a decent amount of money you can there have been instances in the past it's a little hard to do it these days but you can i used to be able to buy a lot of games and pick out a handful of ones i want to keep and then by the time i'm done selling everything else i get the games I kept for practically free. Yeah. I mean, I remember oh, you wow. recently got that, that PSP bundle you were talking about on retro game explorers. And, uh, 
you got a steal of a deal. You kind of uh, haggled the guy down a bit, and then you ended up selling some of the games you already had, and you pretty much made your money back, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to do that these days because there's a lot of competition with everybody has like online stores, they have yeah. local retro shops. So there's a lot of people out there that are doing the same thing I do. So it makes it very fierce. So <laughs> what would you say like in the past five years, if you can recall, like what was like the biggest steal of a find that you found, whether it was a bundle or a particular game? Could you like recall a specific thing? Oh God, I've, I've really slowed down on that kind of stuff. But my biggest steal, I have a YouTube video of it from a couple years ago. Where I bought this bundle like I sat there before I I do my research it's not like I just blindly buy these things well, I think I, but I saw this. a lot of Game Boy Advance games that I knew like it was filled with RPGs and just different games that seemed valuable um, and I just did my research I sat down and priced each game individually what I can sell it for what ones I would keep and um, yeah I, I sold a large majority that I just didn't care to keep anymore and I kept a lot of games from that collection and uh, ended up doing really well with it. Uh, I don't remember exactly what I paid, a couple hundred, but you know there were games in that collection that over the years the prices went way up, so it kind of paid off. Very cool, very cool. Well, I don't really have anything else to talk specific to collecting. I think, you know, Ryan, it's, it's getting kind of late where we are. We have to go to work tomorrow. I'm actually fine calling the episode now. We've definitely have one heck of an episode here, and I know we had one other topic we wanted to get to, but... Um, Pete, I'd like to let you get to streaming and maybe we can have you on for another episode, you know, in a couple months or something to talk about the the last topic. Because I feel like the final topic that we had on our agenda, we could go a whole hour and a half, two hours to talk about that alone, honestly. Yeah, you wouldn't um, want to shortchange it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I want to do the system justice that we were going to talk about. So so if you guys are cool with it, I'm, I'm fine to wrap up the episode now, if that's good with you guys. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Awesome. Yeah. All right, well, Pete, seriously, man, I just want to thank you again for taking the time and even considering being on the show with us, it really is an honor for me having watched you for like eight years now and even watching you on stream now. It's I feel like I I feel like you're my brother. I feel like I know you as, <laughs> as, as well as I do Ryan because I've, I've watched you for so many years. Wow. But yeah. Well, it, it's We're weird related. though, right? It, it's <laughs> weird though because when you tend to watch people on YouTube or Twitch for like that long, you get to feel like you know them even though you've never like met them before, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I can definitely relate to to those kind of feelings uh, for anybody you know like when i first met a couple of people on youtube that i'd watched for years it's like wow it feels like you know them you know yeah hopefully i can get out to pack some time with lauren and uh even ryan maybe and we can meet up it'd be really fun to grab lunch at one of the conventions and stuff like that pax is old news no one goes to pax anymore <laughs> oh, <laughs> boy. don't waste your money I'm telling you all right so like if, you're, if you're gonna go to a convention make it like a retro game convention or um, I know you're not really in the speed running, but so forget about GDQ, but like the next big thing will be something like TwitchCon. Uh, but really, honestly, I stopped going to patch packs because nobody goes to packs anymore from really Uber Twitch. Yeah, it's just kind of, I mean, I'm not, if you've never been, have you been to a PAX before? I have not. No, I've not. Okay. Then go to a PAX. Like you at least need to experience a, a huge convention like that at least once, but, um, you can do better. I'll just say that. Yeah, well, because I mean, t- to your point, I mean, I remember over the years of Algen Gamers, like earlier on, you were guys getting your tickets kind of casually, and then eventually you guys were like freaking out and raging because tickets were selling out in seconds. So, um, I just think because my tastes have changed, and I'd rather go to a convention that prioritizes retro over or some other form of community over PAX. PAX was just kind of like. It felt like a big advertisement after a while, but like not to downplay it. It's just the cost just didn't make sense for me anymore to travel to those because no one was going. It was more of a community thing. 
Yeah. Because a lot of people used to meet up there. It was like the official YouTube gathering back in the day. Okay. Uh, nobody goes anymore. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, that's good to know. I'm glad I didn't like buy tickets and expect to see a whole bunch of people there. And it's like a ghost town. Yeah, but so. it's still worth experiencing. If you guys have never been to a PAX before, like going to a big spectacle gaming event like that convention is just like mind blowing. You will be, it's just vi- visual sensation overload. So I still highly recommend. All right. Well, yeah, we'll have to check it out for sure. Um, but before we move any further, Pete, if you want to go ahead and just plug some of the stuff that you're currently on, whether it be Twitch or Retro Game Explorers, why don't you go ahead and do that before we finish it up the episode? Yeah, so you can you can find me on YouTube at Pete Door, P-E-T-E-D-O-R-R, and on Twitch at Pete's Game Room. And of course, Rusty's been mentioning Retro Game Explorers, which is my stream team and podcast, uh, which you can find on SoundCloud by going to soundcloud.com slash Retro Game Explorers podcast. Awesome. just want to thank you guys again for having me on it was a definite pleasure and yeah it was a lot of fun awesome yeah of course and so you can find the podcast otaku brothers at either itunes you just search for otaku brothers or even on podbean uh you just search for otaku brothers podcast there and you'll find us you can find me on twitter my name is rusty my handle is re lewis 2011 Ryan sticks away from social media. He's uh, kind of a hermit <laughs> yeah. when it comes to that kind of stuff. So he lives vicariously through me. I do. Yeah. Just want to also kind of throw it out there. If you don't mind just dropping into iTunes and leaving us uh, a review, whether it's a star rating, one through five stars, or even if you feel ambitious to drop us uh, a quick little snippet review of how you how you like us or hate us. We, we'd really appreciate it. <laughs> feedback they're entertaining to read yeah feedback both (laughs) constructive and positive is is much appreciated and then lastly you can always write into the podcast whether it be questions or or feedback for our show um, at otaku brothers podcast at gmail.com so again thank you all so much for listening to the episode stay tuned for number 10 i think uh i might actually get another special guest on for that and ryan and i have had something special planned for episode 10 so uh look forward to that next week so anything else to say gents we good yeah, no. Uh, just want to apologize one last time to future Tariba addicts. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just leave yeah. that out there. Just a, a little hint reminder. I might I might drop a, a link to that in the show notes. So just uh, if you find folks out there that are interested in crane games, you know, <laughs> might dip your feet in that. But uh, I'll also leave uh, links in the show notes to all Pete's stuff as well, so you guys can easily access that. But thanks again for listening to the episode, and we will see you guys later. See ya. Thank you.